be fair, Totem Beast in that matchup. Oh, well, it goes for the kill score. Aspirants and both. Australia's ninth age podcast. Uh, with me today, I've got uh, general good man of the scene, and all over just uh, just a general nice guy, Angus Sturtbray. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Good, good. Good to have a chat with you. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on. I feel like it's. Uh, I feel like we've we've been due for it for for a chat for a while. We've sort of had many Facebook chats and kind of uh, you know online chats. We've never actually sat down and had a good chat. So. Yeah, mate, for sure. Um, I do. I do like to chat anything ninth age. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I um, <laughs> interestingly, I saw a post on the um, the ninth age Facebook page um, a week or so ago, and it was a, go- a guy who just basically was saying how much he loved ninth age, and I was like, that's a great ninth age post. Hell yeah. <laughs> I think I saw your comment on it actually. <laughs> yeah, I, was just, I was just like, absolutely, I agree with you. How good is this game? That's <laughs> <No>, great. <laughs> Um, mate, for those who haven't met you before or don't know you, why don't you uh, give a bit of an introduction to yourself? All right. Um, I guess my my uh, my wargaming journey started in year four, which probably would have been like the year 2000, I think. Um, I just watched The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring in the cinemas, if that tells you how long ago we're talking. Nice. Yep. Um, I uh, preface, I am only 30, so I think I was – must have been like nine or ten at the time when that came out, if my maths is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I remember running out of the cinema, play, play sword fighting, saying I was Aragorn and, you know, doing all of that as um, as you do as a, as a young lad. Um, and then I was at school, I think one of the um, – I just changed schools and one of the lads there had brought in some uh, terribly painted ultramarines um, from 40K. Um, and – yeah, he and I sort of, you know, got stuck into it. Um, and I think what I actually bought was, um, I don't know if you remember, there was that um, Fellowship of the Ring, Lord of the Rings box set where you got like eight of the high elves with the swords above their heads and you got a couple of um, like men of Gondor with sword and shield and then you got some uh, Moria goblins. That was the yeah. first ever um, sort of, you know, wargaming box set I ever got. Um and like, I think it was like a paint set. So you got like four little paints that were sort of like miniature ones. Um, and then, yeah, sort of started going into Games Workshop. I've always loved, you know, anything history and um, and medieval and fantasy related. Uh, and that that's kind of what got me into it. And I was that kid at Games Workshop, um, probably similar to Bobo, to be honest, like that was there, you know. <laughs> Every day of the school holidays, I'd catch that my dad would drop me off at the bus in the morning. I'd catch the bus there, spend the entire day there, um, you know, annoying the uh, the guys that worked there um, with a million questions and asking for painting lessons because um, I was terrible at the time. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of slowly, you know, I, I started out. This is this is showing, you know, the the age. It was um, sixth edition had just dropped, so that was the you know the very sort of beginning i think i you know maybe three weeks into sixth edition was when i took up the game um and it was called the art the first army for me was hordes of chaos which would be warriors of the dark gods now um and they were they were that painted that badly that i, I sold them um and then moved on to bretonians which is the the modern day koe um kingdom of equitane nice. um and then it was sort of, I think, I think I played two tournaments at sixth edition. I would have been about fourteen or fifteen. 
um, back then in South Australia, the scene, to be honest, was, was pretty similar to what we've got now where it's, you know, you've got sort of, you know, at a one-day event, um, you might get, you know, somewhere between 12 and, and 18 players. Um, but we were even only getting that for like, I think the first event I played in was 12 players for a two-day event. But there was, you know, in the same tourney, there was like 70 40K players and 30 Lord of the Rings players. Um, and... Yeah, I was just instantly hooked. Um, I, by this time as well, I was actually working at Games Workshop as well. I was a red shirt for about three years. Um, and, yeah, then I sort of, um, yeah, I guess just got hooked on on, on competitive gaming. Um, I, I just absolutely loved it. Um, and then, then sort of da- started dabbling in uh, Vampire Counts, which was right at the end of 6th edition. So I think I had about 1,500 points um, in the old scale painted back then, and then the, the you know the new book got in. I think I played one event with um, one event with the Sick Dead book, and I actually got first place in that. Uh, it was the first win, um, which was was pretty cool. I think it was on my 16th birthday from memory. Um, was like, back then, like we used to do, that was a four games, one day, two and a half thousand point tournament. So you started at 7 a.m. and finished at 7:30 at night. Um, so that was that was pretty full on, um, and then yeah, I sort of played through high school um, and sort of stuck with the vampires from from you know more or less then on. They were they were very overpowered in seventh edition, um, and then I think like everyone sort of goes through that journey. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, and um, everyone seems to do the same thing. They sort of get to the end of high school, they discover you know um, alcohol and nightclubs and um, and all of that stuff, or they just get too busy, you know, going off to uni or starting their first full-time job. You know, you don't have the, the flexibility to paint for, you know, six hours every night after school or, you know, on the weekends and stuff. And, um, and that sort of all took over and um, played three games of eighth edition, one, one tournament, um, and then that was sort of it. Um, and that was, so that would have been, what, 2010, I reckon. Um, and then, yeah, I sort of recently, well, turned 30 in June. I'd been looking to get back into it for a while, um, and I, I used to go and check Games Workshop's website out all the time. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, I can't even remember how I stumbled onto ninth, but I ended up finding this um, – I might have even asked some, like someone I used to play with back in Adelaide. Um, and, yeah, we – like he, he was like, oh, mate, check, check this out. And I think it just so happened to be fortuitous that the biggest scene, you know, at state level is probably Queensland, um, which I'd, you know, moved to three years ago. Um, and yeah, put sort of put out that I, you know, was keen to have a game. I, you know, I've still got my full, um, King of Aquitaine, Britannian army. Um, I've, I've also got my full vampires army, which I've been adding to. Um, so I went around to, uh, to Joss, um, Lars and Morrill's house, probably pronounced that incorrectly. Sorry, mate. <laughs> and, uh, and he 20 me. Um, that was, that was good fun. Um, and yeah, that, you know, I, I've, I've lost a lot of games that, you know, obviously the very beginning, it is, it is a different game, I think, to sixth and seventh edition. And, and those yeah. players that have played both would, would probably agree that. Um, and yeah, mate, that's pretty much brings us to, to today, I think. Yeah, nice one. All right. Um, well, then today we're getting over uh, a, a recap of uh, CanCon. We're going to have a chat about your games. How, did, how was the, uh, how was the tourney? Uh, then we're going to get on to um, our general chat for the day, which is uh, how to grow the scene. How do we grow the ninth age scene, which has been a big push, uh, certainly here in Melbourne. I think the Brisbane guys have been really pushing and getting a lot of success up there as well, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I think we have definitely. Um, no, I was chatting to a couple of the uh, one of the Canberra guys as well, and he was saying he's managed to get a few extra guys in there as well, which is a you know, good result there. It's always been pretty small in that place, so hopefully um, next CanCon we have a few more of the locals turn up as well. Yeah, anyway. I think it's. Yeah, um, I was just going to say, it's always been, yeah. I think, ironic that the biggest tournament in Australia, which, you know, back in, in seventh edition, you know, used to get, I think one year they got 280 players, uh, was mm. CanCon, um, which, you know, I don't think more than maybe 20 of them actually lived in Canberra. I, I could be corrected on that. But, yeah, I think it's always been a good sort of halfway meeting spot between the three eastern states mainly. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, um, um, tell us what you've been up to with your, with your hobby then, mate. What's been going on? Um, mate, I, I think because I, you know, played as a teenager and, you know, I, I, I've heard a few people in, in, uh, in my time say, oh, you play Warhammer, that's a rich man's sport. Um, <laughs> because, you know, it is, I think for a teenager in particular, oh, yeah. it, it can be quite an expensive hobby and, and it can actually be an entry barrier, I think, for some, you know, for some young people, um, which, which sucks, um, you know. So I have kind of gone a little bit crazy. Um, thankfully, I have a very uh, understanding um, partner, um, Jess, who she doesn't really care. You know, it's it's uh, what, what I do. So um, I uh, yeah, I've gone crazy. I bought I bought about fifteen thousand points of um, well now known as Dread Elves. Um, I always wanted a Dark Elf army back in um, in in sixth and seventh edition. I just love the models. They remind me of. Um, Underworld Three, The Rise of the Lycans. Uh, <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah, so I've just always wanted that army, and I just never got around to doing it. Um, so I bought that. I've got, I've got, you know, so much stuff that's you know new in new in box, but then I've also got a whole bunch of stuff I'll probably end up having to sell because I just I don't need what I've got. Like it's crazy. I've got <laughs> like, two hundred spearmen. I've got a hundred crossbowmen. Like it's just you know I, I will never need all of that. So and I'd rather you know probably sell off cheap to hopefully someone young that you know might have that barrier. Um, you know, to be able to bring them into the game. Um, so working on the Dreadnoughts, I've actually, um, while, while we're sitting here, I'm filing off a 6th uh, edition metal um, Voltorol crewman because uh, we're doing a, a tale of gamers at the moment. Um, obviously, you're, you're in that group chat yourself, but I've, I've also bought a High Elf Army. I've bought an Empire Army. I've got a Tinkin or UD. Um, but, yeah, Dreadnoughts is the main. Um, I, I want to try and take them to BrizCon in a couple of months. Um, for the the 3k, it's going to be touch and go because I'm moving house. But yeah, that's basically what I'm doing. What what is your hobby wise? Um, I've I've been doing sort of little bits of and pieces. So um yeah, so in in the hobby chat with the with the slow grow as you say. Um, and my commitment was uh, getting a beast herds army up. Um, unfortunately, I've kind of done the buying bit of part of that, but not none of the uh, assembly painting bit. So. I keep getting distracted by all these other projects I've got going on. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've still got a, an ogre army and I'm still trying to wrap up at the moment. So I've been sort of painting bits and pieces for that. Um, got a, a vampire counts army that I sort of got a good crack into and, and I got a re- really good start on and then sort of ran out of steam, but I need to get back to that. And I've been sort of picking up bits and pieces for that. Um, 
and then yeah, as I say, I need to get over to the uh, need to get over to the beast herds and get those guys done. But uh, yeah, so it's been a real kind of mixed bag of bits and pieces. But um, but look, any progress I guess is is good progress, right? If you're getting something painted, then you then you're getting ahead of the game. So <laughs> that's it. Did you fall victim as well, mate, to um like the buy swap and sell groups? And you go, oh, I've always wanted yeah. that buy it because I do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, particularly when I started out, like I've been uh back plan for a little while now um but yeah when i was starting out and growing my armies yeah you're right like and and as you say like i hadn't played since i was a kid and i was like oh man always wanted that you know thorin ironbrow could never get that many when i was a kid you know oh here it is yeah i'll pick it up um whereas you know now now i've got the 3d printing issue which um i always said i would never get a 3d printer because i was like why do I need a 3D printer? I've already got piles of plastic. I don't need a machine that just adds more to my grey piles of plastic. But I've got <laughs> suck, got sucking into it. So <laughs> um, hard. Like I, I think the sixth edition nostalgia of you know some of the metal models in particular, mm. and like you know my I have that little voice in the back of my head that just goes, this might not ever come up again. And I'm like, oh, I'll buy it. Like I bought you know the other day, I already had bought 20 Swordmasters, like the metal sixth edition ones. And I saw someone advertise twenty one for one hundred and twenty dollars. I was like, I'd be losing money if I don't buy it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh. so I've now got forty one Swordmasters, which you know I'm like, do I even need forty one Swordmasters? I haven't even really worked out a list. But I was like, you never know. And he had fifteen <laughs> white lions. So I was like, I'll grab those as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're not in the market for a Hydra, do you? I picked up a couple of those real old ones, and they've been sitting on my pile of shame for a while now, staring oh, at me. Yeah. The old editions. Yeah, I've actually got a metal sixth edition, and I've got a, uh, the seventh edition um, plastic, or, or I don't know if it's actually fine cast or plastic or fail cast, as they call it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I actually haven't got one in either my three or, or four and a half thousand point list. Um, mine's very much uh, sort of Celexian auxiliary based. Um, nice. Yeah, more like a more like a professional army. So there's none of the, um, you know, there's no witch elves. Um, I don't even have a mage in my, um, so no, no magic in my three K. Um, yeah. So, but I, yeah, I feel you. Um, my, my pile of shame is, um, is becoming quite, um, <laughs> quite embarrassing. <laughs> Getting out of hand. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Nice one. All right. Well, um, why don't we start chatting on, um, on CanCon and you give us a bit of a recap of how your games went and what you thought of it. Very good. Well, um, well, I think the first one, I, um, you know, obviously listen to a lot of podcasts, YouTube, et cetera. Um, I, I'll, I'll go through the goals I came in with. Um, and one of the goals, uh, actually, there's two goals that came from um, one, one YouTube uh, channel um, from, from Maxi um, and, and also the, the pre-podcast where I was, I was tipped. To, there was only one, I think, two people that Max uh, tipped to finish in the bottom half out of out of 22. Um, his maths was a little bit off there, but um, – Everyone else, he was like, yeah, probably top half. Um, <laughs> I, myself and, uh, and Joss actually were the two that he picked for bottom half. Um, and uh, my, my list got torn to shreds, basically. So I thought it was like, oh, you know, obviously I'm a returning player. I'm not expecting to go and win anything. I'm just enjoying, you know, I actually like getting beaten at the moment because I learn way more from yeah. getting, um, you know, getting beaten than, um, than obviously winning games at the moment. I mean, it's nice to win because it's, you know, boosts your confidence a little bit, but I think it's better to get lessons when you're a returning player from, from what I've seen. Mm. Um, 
So, yeah, one goal was to not finish in the bottom half. Um, so, obviously, top 10 was the was the target. Um, another one, I was told that I was going to get absolutely spanked by Alex Schubert in round one in our matchup. So, the goal was to, to try and pull off uh, – um, you know, what, what everyone else thought was an unlikely um, unlikely win or at least a draw. Um, and one other little goal that I set was not to lose a game 20 nil. So I wanted to at least get points in every single game. So that, that were kind of my goals for, for the event. Um, so do you want me to quickly run through what I had on my list? Yeah, um, give us a recap. Yeah, so I went for the double count. I'd actually tried a few different VC builds. I... I'm a bit unusual to most where I like the Von Karstein um, or Karnstein as I think um, it's actually, I always forget the end um, these days. Uh, it was the bloodline that I ran back in, in sixth and seventh edition. My army's based on, you know, Sylvania um, in the, um, in the old world. Um, so, which is a, you know, an Imperial province. Um, and I like, I like trying to take an army and then, I guess my goal is to look at it and go, right, what's the biggest weakness? I think with Undead, it's movement. Um, I love the movement phase. I think it's the most important phase of the game. So I try and then, when I when I get that army, try and design a list that mitigates its biggest weakness as much as possible. Because I think if you can do that, you're going to put yourself, um, you know, regardless of matchup, in a position to probably at least get a draw, if not a, a minor loss. That that's kind of my theory um, when it comes to list building. So obviously the von Karstein allows you the the bigger march bubble um, with the the general's leadership being expanded to to 18 inches um, or 24 if you've got it mounted on um, on something gigantic like a dragon, for example. Uh, also your BSB range, which I think is a very underrated. Um, model in uh, in undead i know a lot of people don't take bsbs but yeah it is very underrated so i basically went for, for the double count i tried the you know the bunker with the, the mage um didn't like it so i was like right we're gonna have a, a list that doesn't have a back line because it's uh i think especially when you're also a, like a, a returning player it's um it's just something extra to think about um so it slows the game down a little bit um so yeah, so I went the double count on foot, um, which was the, the controversy. <laughs> and then I had the White King BSB. Uh, I won't go through the, the magic item setups, but basically I on one count I had him in a unit of Barrow Guard um, with the, the Barrow King. Um, that, that basically makes the unit uh, have stubborn from, from Bodyguard. Um, just for those that don't know with Undead, it means that you – you know, if you if you lose combat by ten instead of crumbling by ten, you actually crumble by five. So it halves and then rounds up. Um, and then the BSB actually uh, adds an additional minus one to that crumble. So I put the the general and the, and the white king. With the idea was in that unit, uh, and then I took the second count. I, I gave him an upgrade to become stubborn, and he was in a big block of ghoul. So basically, I had two stubborn blocks that. Even if you get into their flank, like they're quite grindy, um, and they and they can really grind down um, units, and that was kind of the idea behind the list. And then a lot of fast stuff. So I had three units of um, of bat swarms, a little ghoul dart of ten um, for, just for scoring, uh, twenty skellies. Um, only because I wanted zombies, but I just had to spend more points, so I went for for the skellies just with hand weapon shield muso. Uh, then I had a unit of five wraiths, a unit of Five spectral hunters. Um, I just like them for the the terror bomb. Um, I think they're 170 or 180 points now uh, with the points update. Um, 
And they, you know, they can be really good for anti-armor um, and they're good for guarding your back line for stuff like ambushes, um, particularly, you know, like beast herds, as you would know, leadership can be a problem. So it can you know, make people not want to ambush behind you if they, you know, going to have to take a leadership seven um, terror test uh, from getting charged by one of those units. Uh, and then I had two units of knights, so a unit of five vampire knights, a unit of four vampire knights for Again, it's that mitigating movement, so they're both autonomous, so I can put them out in the flank and I can have everything else spread out and, and basically my entire army can march and it mitigates that, um, you know, that weakness of, of undead. Um, it's something I've always um, always found myself wanting is a unit of knights when I play VC for things like, um, things like Blake Breakthrough or the Two Pennies, like but having... So much of my scoring is just, you know, a block, big block of skellies and maybe a big block of ghouls, and they just have, sort of have to hang together in a clump. Whereas you just, I, I never always found I never had a scoring unit that could go out there and, you know, contest a secondary objective or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny. See, secondary objective is very new, a new concept to me because in seventh edition we didn't have them. It was, you know, you got bonus victory points for getting, um, uh, capturing battle standards um sixth edition was the same and then it was table quarters so um you know most amount of units above uh unit strength of five uh inside table quarters you got 100 victory points for those um and along with uh with all of the banners so there was actually no such thing as secondary so yeah. it was always 20 nil um you know based off points so yeah secondaries for me has you know been a, a big learning curve and i definitely agree with you having something fast you know you see a lot of empire mm. lists just have that that scoring dart of five knights mm. that you just chuck on the flank in, especially in breakthrough and you know they just run up in the last last two turns um so yeah that that was basically the list um and game one, so as I mentioned before, you know I was I was tipped to lose pretty badly in that in that matchup against Alex. So uh, the scenario was breakthrough. It was blind deployment, which I thought was really cool. I really enjoyed that, and I I was thinking about that, you know, as soon as that matchup was there, um, you know, for about oh probably two weeks, I think, once I saw the list. Um, and how I was going to deploy and, and, and doing all of those things. And I, I think once the uh, Max's YouTube list review came out, um, even more so, uh, I actually got Trav Cram to um, use Alex. This is a bit cheeky. I actually got him to put together Alex's list from his Empire Army. I actually played a game <laughs> against him. Um, we even did the blind deployment. And I think that gave me a – I had a kind of an idea of, of what I, how I wanted to tackle it. Um and it gave me an idea of what could what I, what I could get through, what I couldn't, um, just you know from from the matchup. So that that was really good. Trav obviously played it very different. You know, it's basically like taking an army swap or a net list. So you know, a big thanks to him for doing that for me. Um, and yeah, so obviously it was breakthrough. Um, just a quick rundown of his list. He had two. So he's got his general on a griffin, then he's got a cowboy on a griffin as well. Um, he's got. A wizard master on foot, a BSB, and a, and a warrior priest. So prelate um, on uh, on foot as well. A big block of spearmen. I think it's about 32 from memory. Um, a couple of units of militia, just for like chaff and, and light shooting. Uh, then he's got another unit, another support unit. I think the halberds from memory. Um, and then he's got his big. IG, um, so like Imperial Guard, there was like 38 of them, um, and they absolutely terrified me, to be honest. I was like, I, I, was like I, I think I can deal with everything in his list, but I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Um, yeah, that, that was that was really, really scary. Um, 
he had it was it was a Death Star, so he had the BSB and the Warrior Pre, so Prelate in there as well. So um, you know, battle focus because of death warrant, hatred in the first round, and he had him in horde and he can put fight an extra rank on them as well. So that unit against, you know, probably probably the scariest unit in terms of matchup at that event, to be honest. Um, like, you know, not, not including characters, you know, Akhtar's uh, Knight um, with, with both counts is pretty, pretty terrifying as well. But, you know, just as a unit, I think that IG um, was, was a bad matchup for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, sorry, I had two volley guns as well. Um, and that was pretty much the list from, from memory. You know, I might have missed one or two things there. Um, oh, sorry, a unit of writers. So he had had six, um, six writers, the old pistol ears. Um, so blind deployment, what, what I basically decided, mate, was to do an in-out deployment. And the theory behind this was Pyro his Pyro Master would just obliterate my spec hunters and wraiths. Um, and I wanted to try and mitigate that as much as I could so I'd have those in the game. So I actually basically put the knights on each flank because it's breakthrough. I had six scoring to his four. So I was I did have an advantage on the on the objective and he had no fast scoring. Oh sorry, one one of his other units was a unit of fifteen crossbowmen. So he only had three scoring units that realistically, until unless it's late game, want to actually leave his deployment zone. Mm. Uh, and one of them is really just a, a, a diverting um support support unit or, you know, a counter-charging um, support unit. So my, yeah, my, my idea and, and like was basically to have spec hunters and wraiths almost sort of halfway between the board edge and the, my center, but like right back on my board edge, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm talking about the side board edge basically. So sort of 18 inches in from, from the side board edge uh, and basically sitting back like that. Um, Part of the reason is I assumed he was going to vanguard his writers, uh, especially if he got first turn into my deployment zone, which means I'd be able to get a charge on them. Um, the knights on, on my flanks, which means he's probably going to have to pull. Uh, oh, sorry, you had flagellants as well, so I forgot about them. There's 18 of them. So I was like, he's going to probably have to pull the flagellants on one flank to try and deal with one of my knight units. Um, and I want to try and pull the cowboy uh, Griffin away and keep him out of the game for as long as I could so that he can't get, a, you know, the IG into one of my blocks and then, you know, a counter charge from him as well because it will just destroy me. Um, I expected him to sit back. I didn't expect him to come forward. My my game plan was sort of to move. I, I deployed one inch back, so I, I deployed on the 11.5-inch line to make sure if he got first turns, his volley guns would miss out on a, on a turn of shooting, um, and it would mean that he'd have to come forward especially if you wanted to win the objective. That, that was kind of my, my idea. Um, so basically I wanted to put the two blocks up in, in magic range. I wanted to get rid of the pyro wizard and then the race can start moving up, uh, the race and the spec hunters and, and start coming into the game until that I kind of had to leave them back. Um, and I just wanted to use my, like bat swarms are great. Um, I think they're one of the best chaff units in the game because you can put them in front. They've got lots of wounds and the minus one to hit um, from, uh, completely uh, escaped me there from distracting yeah hard target they've actually got both they've got hard target from shooting they've got distracting from uh, for combat but they also have minus one offensive and defensive skill to who they're fighting yeah yeah Um, so what i do i've got three units and i i've also got i can um, actually buff them above starting with the count uh with my general um and i can raise new units of them as well um so 
I basically wanted to try and slow him down as much as I could if he decided to push, which he did. Um, not as, and he pushed a lot harder than I thought he would as well with that IG unit. Like they just came tearing across the table. Um, but yeah, basically wanted to try and slow him down and try and snipe his, um, his wizard. That was the plan. Uh, unfortunately, the wizard was too far back. Um, and the secondary plan for me was to get rid of the, uh, I assumed he was going to put one volley gun sort of zoning each flank and that's what he did. So the plan was to then try and get a, um, uh, grave calls, not grave calls, so uh, breath of corruption. So the breath weapon on one of the, um, volley guns, if I couldn't get the wizard, so I could at least then start pushing on that flank and sort of try and turn his flank. Cause I knew, I knew I could outfight him other than the cowboy and, the uh, the Imperial Guard. They were the only two sort of units that really worried me, the, especially the Imperial Guard. They terrified me. And he literally just ran them straight across. And what I did was I almost put like a staggered chaff line of bat swarms. Um, and the idea was to try and isolate his IG and stop him from getting any combo charges. And what basically happened was his IG came forward, hit, uh, a unit of bat swarms that I buffed up to four. He chewed through them as to be expected. Um, and then I managed to basically have it so that um, one of his characters, when they overran, came within the, the 0.5 inches of unit of bat swarms. So he couldn't overrun with them as well. Mm-hmm. And then I had another unit of bat swarms that was also blocking that that griffin um, from being able to, to charge. And then I charged the griffin. So that jumped them out of the way because they fly and that allowed my barrow guard to then hit the, uh, the, the Imperial guard in the flank. So I got basically a, you know, fresh combat. I had my ghoul block with a vampire count in there. And then I had the barrow guard in the flank of the Imperial guard. And I was like, all right, this is, this is the perfect scenario for me. I really did expect him to sit back and shoot. That's what I would have done in that matchup and got rid of my, you know, auxiliary units like the Knights. Um, as soon as the Knights are gone and my blocks get isolated and I've got no counter charges, it can be, be a bit of a challenge. So that, that's what I was expecting him to do, but he, but he sort of ran, ran them straight across the table. I guess the secondary kind of meant that he kind of had to. Um, basically, the my the, the, the um, best on ground for that game would have been the uh, the, the Demi Count, who I've uh, nicknamed Magooly Gulkin because he goes in the ghouls. Um, and he had Shield Breaker. So thankfully for me, Although that IG unit is scary, both characters don't have an Aegis save, so the Prelate and the um, the BSB. Um, I made sure that I was when he, when he was going to charge the Bat Swarms. I made sure I put the um, the count on the on the corner the BSB was on, and I basically was like, "Yep, cool, I'll, I'll attack him." Um, I think I actually did five wounds from my six attacks. Um, obviously, only only three count, but I killed the BSB, so he couldn't couldn't mark me and couldn't get Death Warrant, um, which was great. So there was no battle focus. Um, he got hatred for that for that first round. Um, he did kill a lot of ghouls, but I think I killed about oh, would have been like eighteen um, IG. I think I won the combat. We we worked it out the first time, and um, and I think it was like he needed to roll a three to to stay. Um, oh no, so that was in the second round because the prelate was still there. So two rounds of combat. Basically, the the count killed the BSB, and then um, the next turn he killed the prelate, so they lost their bodyguard. Um, and I was able to chase them down in, in his turn, which was which was very handy. The ghouls literally only had like two left with the count um, sitting there at the end of that. Um, they'd been absolutely minced. Uh, he did end up getting the general into the um, the barrow guard's flank, um, or it might have been their rear. So it was a kind of a 
it was quite a big combat. There was a unit of militia in the flank as well. So I think it was general in the rear and then the yeah militia in the flank and basically all, everything popped away. I chased the IG, got them. Um, and then they gave me a lot of board control. Uh, I was able to get uh, unit of knights into his um, deployment zone and the, the barrow guard. Um, and in the end it was a, so 13, seven on points. And then I also got the secondary as well. So, come away 16-4 when everyone said I was going to get absolutely smashed. I was pretty happy with that, to be honest. That's a good result. Good way to start. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a good way to start. Um, so round two, uh, I was playing Joss, um, who I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, he was the first person I played and, and really chatted to in the ninth age. Good mate. Um, go around to his place quite often or, or meet up at Bruce Vegas um, in the Valley uh, for, for games. Now, the funny thing to tell you is I've never actually beaten his empire. Like I've never beaten him at 4,500 points. Um, you know, I've probably played him 20 times. Um, you know, my, my main probably regular opponent. Um, and we always joked that um, I have beat him in my dreadels. I just want to say that, uh, but at a thousand points. Um, but yeah, haven't, haven't actually beaten him. Um, he's, Having played both, and I know that they they were basically playing off in the final round for the um, best empire player. Um, Joss is Alex, good player as well. Don't get me wrong. Um, Joss, when it comes to using the orders, is insanely good. Like he's very very good at using that synergy. Probably the best empire player I've seen so far. Mm. Um, and, and Alex takes a very different style list as well. So we always joked that, you know, the first time that I beat him is probably going to be in a tournament. Um, and, of course, who do I have to play? And I was also traveling with him. Um, I came up uh, – sorry, came down, I should say, with uh, with Lockie, uh, Ryan, um, uh, Aaron, and, and Joss. So we were all staying in the same house. Uh, and, of course, uh, I drew him for, for game two. So Joss, very different list. He also has an IG um, IG star as well. He's a bit smaller, um, similar sort of setup. Uh, you know, as as Alex is, to be honest, like he's got Death Warren in there. Uh, he's got the Prelate for Hatred. Um, just the unit's not as big. It's like 28, I think, from memory. Not as scary. Um, and then he, he uses a lot of support units. So he's got like four heavy in- infantry support units. He had a unit of 10 knights, four demis, a steam tank. His general's on a griffin. He had a wizard. Um, and the scenario was... Uh, so it was marching columns deployment, and it was three pennies. Um, so basically, I was like, right, I'm going to contest two. I learned the hard way. Um, again, you know, secondaries are very new to me, and I've been really focusing on trying to um, make sure I play the secondary before I play the player, if that makes sense. So it's not so much about getting victory points. It's about the um, – and I don't know if you do the same, but, yeah, I've, I've kind of tried to overcorrect kind of. But like, is that kind of how you did it when you um, first started playing secondaries? Yeah, I reckon it is. Um, how I treated secondaries when I first started playing, um, I mean, right back when I first started playing Ninth Age, I, you know, I, I would I would pretty much just ignore the secondary, and if I got it at the end, it was a bit of a bonus. Um, yeah. And then, and then I, I felt myself trying to get out of that headspace, but I would only do it in like turn three. So I'd, <laughs> I'm like slowly dragging forward my, in my idea that the, and I've got to do the secondary, like I'd get to round three and be like, huh, what, what was that secondary? Right. What have I got to do? Okay. Let's have a look at it. Uh, whereas now I'm, I'm in, in more in the headspace. When I look at the list and I look at the start of the game, I'm like, all right, what's a secondary? What do I need to do to win it? Like, have I got any hope looking at the list, looking at what the secondary is looking at my list? Can I even do it? 
all right, if I can, if I can, and I think, yeah, all right, I've got a chance and I've got to compete. There's absolutely no hope. Then it's like, all right, well, how do I, you know, mitigate or try and even draw that secondary? Yeah, I think yeah, it's it's a. I went on the exact same journey. I think there is three stages to it. Because um, at first, you know, because did you play sixth and seventh? Did you mate, or um, were you more eighth? Yeah, I was more eighth. Um, I played as a kid, um, but you know that wasn't really sort of that was just you know hanging out with a mate and pushing some stuff around. We didn't really even follow the rules that well. And then I kind of yeah. stopped playing for a long time, and then when I got back into it was the sort of last year or so of eighth about that. Yeah, before the great summer. Um, yeah, 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 um, yeah. I, I think the objective played now. It's funny. I hated it six months ago because yeah. I've only been back playing. I think it's seven months now, and I hated. it. I was like, oh, this is stupid. I was like, you know, what is this all about? And now it's funny. I've really come come full. Like it's actually probably mm. my favourite part of the game now. And I'm yep. I build this in order to be able to I'm like, can I compete in every secondary? Um, or I'll have specific units for specific scenarios where, and you know, try and not spend too many points invested on it, um, and then try and have you know, say four scoring units that are all rounders that I can compete in nearly all of them, but then have maybe one specialist unit that they're really good in that particular one. For example, the knights in breakthrough. Um, so. Yes, this one was three pennies, and I learnt the hard by playing um, playing uh, Jimbo Humphreys um, in a three and a half k um, event that uh, the, the nicest guy in ninth age um, in Australia, uh, which is uh, Sam Weston. Around the, the kid is just lovely, um, and yeah, so he ran that event, and I, I basically tried to contest all three because I, I was like, oh, I just need to win this secondary. Um, yeah. and, didn't even think about the fact that I only have to have two of them or even one of them and have the other two drawn to actually win the objective. So I was like, right, in this game, I'm going to, I'm going to go for the center and the left-hand uh, flank. Um, and so what I did was I won the role for the sides. I took uh, the side with a hill because uh, I was like, right, I'm going to put my five knights on that hill and I'm not going to go for that um, objective, but I'm going to try and hold him off of it with a, you know, the re-roll charge with the knights, um, you know, five vampire knights on the charge. Um, in the center, I put my barrow guard because I was like, I want to get them onto one of the objectives. And I had a couple of scoring units with them. So I had the little data ghouls and I had the skellies. And the idea was I either move, depending on how he, um, you know, if I'm reacting to him, if he tries to push over it, then I'll hit him with the barrow guard try and run past it and then get, you know, maybe the ghouls or the zombie, so the skellies behind to pick it up. Um, and then I can just run them back into my deployment zone um, or I can get the, the barrow guard. So it really depends on how he plays, but that was kind of my play there. And then on the, on the left flank, the other penny that I was going to try and get, I had the ghoul block um, and I had four knights. Um, and again, I wanted to give myself the option. I can either get the ghouls to pick it up or I can get the knights to pick it up depending on how he plays and, and sort of, you know, that that's kind of what happened. So, yeah, I um I, I basically, you know, the first turn, well, he got first turn because he, he dropped for first. Um, you know, he ran a lot, like a lot of his infantry and he told me after the game, he, his was the reverse. He wanted to try and go for the penny that I wasn't contesting, like the right-hand side one. He wanted that one and he wanted the centre, obviously, and then didn't care about the, the left one um, or my left flank, uh, his right flank. Um, and yeah, I managed to get those knights into into a unit of um, light infantry, and I put my bait, made my bat swarms out and chaffed his imperial guard and a couple of other support units. And he got 
like I, I don't like to talk about luck. That's something I definitely did too much and apologize to any opponent that does listen to this. I definitely blame dice when I first came back and really trying not to do it anymore. Cause at the end of the day, I think it is, it is a game. There is a chance I'm involved. Everyone knows it and it goes in swings and roundabouts. Um, you know, I think this was just one of those ones where it, it went in my favor. He charged one of my bat swarm units with his IG and he rolled a double six on his overrun. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah. so the challenge was then it, it meant that that unit, that uh, support unit that I'd hit the turn before um, because he couldn't charge the Knights in the flank with the Imperial Guard because he was chaffed by the bats. I'd killed about, oh, I think nine of those that support unit in the first turn, they were steadfast because um, the they can use the Imperial Guard's uh, discipline, um, sorry, ranks for steadfast. But because he overran so far, they were now out of range for it. And those knights, uh, the, that support unit broke um and yeah that it caused a chain reaction now i'm trying to remember i can't remember if it was because i think they're insignificant so it wouldn't have caused a panic test on the wizard um just trying to remember how it happened basically oh no that's right he fled so the next turn it like ended up that i was able to charge his wizard with my knights and he decided to flee and he rolled like a double six or 11 or something again. And uh, the wizard ended up running off the board, basically. Um, his wizard master. Um, oh, no, no, he was a wizard at it, but he was on the, um, on the, on the wagon. So he's, yeah. you know, <laughs> points and there goes his magic support. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was basically able to get the barrier guard up um, and get them onto the, the token. The Imperial guard were basically out of the game nearly. Cause I was, I just kept feeding them little units. Like I think I fed them the spec hunters then I fed them the little 10 ghouls, and I just kept doing it on different angles, so you just could never get them near me. Um, and, yeah, the um, Magooly Gulkin, uh, his steam tank went into the ghoul unit, um, and he, yeah, Magooly Gulkin, um, I think the steam tank had taken like two or three wounds, and um, his shield breaker took care of the rest. And, um, yeah, I ended up – sorry, no, I won the first game 17-3, but um, I ended up, yeah, winning winning the secondary, and I won that game 16-4. Um, and the uh, the irony that Joss and I had already, you know, always said, you know, potentially could happen did actually happen. And um, our uh, our first game in a tournament, I, uh, I finally got the win against his empire. So I was, um, I was pretty happy with that and was in a very uh, unexpected position um, of – uh, I think I was in second actually after the, the first two games, um, oh, which yeah, very, very unexpected. Um, pretty pretty happy with that, and I was like, oh, I'm nearly kind of where you know I've, I've almost kind of made sure that I could you know even if have some bad games here, I can definitely finish in the in the top half, which was obviously a goal. Um, so game three was the deployment where you had to go your, your, your um, most expensive unit, not including characters. So you basically, for me, it would have been my ghouls. Then I think it was my five knights. Then it would have been the barrow guard um, and, and sort of down from there. Thankfully for me, um, when it came to that deployment, uh, I was playing um, the nicest guy in ninth age, um, Sammy Weston. First time playing him. And, and yeah, he, he's just the nicest guy. Even when like, Something bad happens. He just goes, oh, they're dead. Oh, that's unfortunate. And yeah. he moves on. Like he is genuinely the Glenn has done very well there. He's um, yeah, he, he's a really good kid. Uh, he also yeah. is a like, he knows so much. Like I, I learned, you know, two things I think from that game. One was I, you know, the BSB rule for for VC. I always thought it was just minus one, but it's actually minus one per rank. 
mm-hmm. um, which makes the you know the best beef for VC you know even bigger. Um, and it was two pennies. Um, now this is definitely a secondary that I don't think I have bothered to read properly, and, and that was definitely a learning point. I for some reason in my head, and maybe it was because we just played three pennies and it was the last game of the day. Um, you know, I I kind of in my head was like, oh yeah, so we have to pick them up. It's, but in reality, it's actually just being within six. You know, motion it's within six. Um, so I, I definitely made a mistake there, but. He was playing demons and he was using dark hide and I have no idea what the demon book does. I, I tried to have a look at it, but I kind of went cross-eyed um, before the uh, before the event and I definitely went cross-eyed when reading the dark hide stuff. Um, but again, Sam's really good at you know really slowing down and, and explaining everything. But basically, I was kind of like, you know what? I would be stoked in this game if I could get seven points. That that was kind of like you know that would consolidate. You know, I'd, I'd be on 40 points from from 60 for day one. Um, you know, if I could get seven, he can have the secondary. Um, and and you know, I, I would take the basically the the 10 10 on points, and, and he gets the secondary. Um, with the dark eye, you know, it obviously allows him to redeploy his entire army. Essentially, I think he only has two drops um, outside of that, and it also basically means he gets first turn. So, um, yeah, I. I I, didn't, I wouldn't call it a full corner. I basically decided to deploy in half the board and I anchored that middle flank um, with a impassable terrain where I was – the idea was – I can't even remember what the units are called, like the demon units. That's how cross-eyed I go when I look at that. <laughs> yeah. I think they're sucky boy, I think. Sorry, Sam, if I got that wrong. But, um, yeah, I was kind of like, right, I'm going to put a unit of knights there um, and – and the spec hunters and then i had the three bats so the idea was that if he was able to get through them and come you know behind i would just feed him bat chaff for a couple of turns and he would just hopefully not be able to get behind me um where my blocks were and that and that was kind of my my strategy we unfortunately um didn't get to finish that game um i think that was the only game i didn't finish for the weekend no i oh, no, actually um, the, the game four, we like, didn't get the last turn in, but um, yeah, that that was basically um, the, the the plan with that one. Um, and yeah, like it, everything runs extremely fast in the in the demons. Um, and I think his list was really really good. And I, you know, um, I think he played it really well. And he's he's a very good player. Um, so yeah. lost that one fifteen five. Uh, learnt heaps though, um, and that I think is the main thing in in those kind of matchups. Um, so I think end of day one, I think I was third from memory, which was, yeah, I kind of nearly fell off my chair, um, at that idea that, yeah, I would even be, um, be close, especially after <laughs> my list got, um, torn to shreds. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I got myself in a cheeky, uh, friendly game on, on the first game of day one as well. I was, uh, obviously T.O., uh, and we had odd numbers, so I didn't get to didn't get a chance to play. But I've got a a friendly game against um, what's his name? P- Pierre, yeah, Pierre, Pierre Hughes, um, who's a Canberra local. Um, yeah, so he was pushing around Vermin Swarm, um, and the first thing he said to me is like, I, I don't know what this new book does. Like, I don't know what any of this stuff does anymore. I'm like, oh. I'm like, well, I'm not much used to you either, mate. So I haven't played it either. So we we're basically just working it out as we played. Um, the, the highlight of the of the game though the, the funniest moment was like he had a the the doom blade um character yep, yep and and he 
he shoved that right in front of my giant, and I was like, well, I mean, we've got to see where this ends, don't we? We've got to play this one out. So I charged it with my giant, with a big brother giant with a great weapon. Um, did my impact hits. I did, like, two wounds on the impact hits. I'm like, fuck, yeah, that's all right. It's a good start. Um, and then he did his attacks, and he did, like, 17 wounds. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, well, that's, that's a lot of wounds, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, we, we, we did the maths afterwards not unreasonable <laughs> like hitting on twos or threes or something and then wounding on twos it was like oh yeah and then doing d6 wounds after that's so like oh yeah that's that, yeah that checks out that's that's about average so um yeah that was a fun game <laughs> Um, I should actually mention to uh, to all the listeners a, a big thank you mate you know you came up from Melbourne um to TO an event you know that originally you were going to be playing in um so that's a you know massive props to you to actually make that sacrifice you know to to travel to run an event for um for manuel so no good good oh look i i I particularly enjoy just hanging out and watching games as well so i still had a good weekend just wandering around talking shit and just you know chatting to guys and watching everything um, play out so uh no it was good fun it was good fun and it's good to be able to see everyone again, you know, two yeah. years since we've had a tourney, so fantastic. Yeah, I um, I ran an event myself for the first time in November. Um, it was kind of like meant to be like an informal sort of Christmas event, um, which the uh, the indefatigable Bobo won that one. Um, <laughs> shock horror. <laughs> and, yeah, it was actually pretty cool to not have the pressure and that mental sort of, you know, that the only pressure I felt for the day was, oh, my God, have I ordered enough pizza? Um, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I, I did the same thing, actually, and I, I got, um, you know, and I'll probably bring this one up, actually, you know, in more detail, but I played a new player. They only played two games before that um, Starkey had bought down from Kingaroy. Oh. Um, and, yeah, it was pretty cool. Like, you know, I was able to, therefore, take my time. I think the game went for about five and a half hours because I, I almost ran it like I was running a, an intro game back at Games Workshop back in the day. Um, yep. Yep. And, um, yeah, I think it was pretty cool, like, you know, actually um, – not playing for a change, even though I love playing. Um, so I, I definitely would agree with you. Oh. Um, yes, yeah, that, that was day one. What, what did you do on the, the Saturday? Were you sort of like still a bit upbeat and not too tired because you were not playing or? No, we were good. We were good. So um, basically we just went back to the, we had a um, uh, Airbnb that we'd got with about four of us in there. Um, we just went back there, uh, got some pizza for dinner, hung out, um, and played a bit of, uh, played a bit of munchkin and got apocalyptically drunk. Um, haven't, haven't, haven't been that way for a little while and I felt it the next day. I was in a world of hurt. Yeah, mate, <laughs> I, um, I would have to agree. We, we did something very similar. Um, so again, I was, I was with those four lads, so Ryan Usher, uh, Lockie Creeley, um, Joss, I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name again, um, and also Aaron Holland. Um, and, yes, yeah, so what what we did is we went back, and, and we actually did this on both days, and it was pretty cool. And, um, you know, we, I think we've sort of decided like, not all the boys can come to Vic GT, and I think it's only going to be me and Joss out of that um, that group. But we've kind of, yeah, got this um, routine now. So the, the first day we got back and we basically did a debrief, and we, we sat around in a circle um, you know, we obviously, I think we already still had a cut, like maybe three, six packs left from the night before and we grabbed another two cases. So we were very much the same as yourselves. Um, and we sort of sat down, you know, we had some snacks on the table and, 
um, all had a beer in hand. And yeah, we sort of talked through, you know, what, what happened, um, a debrief, um, went through each of our games. And I think it's, it's really good because you get to, you know, talk about the matchup and they go, Oh, did you think about this? You know, why did you do it like that? Um, and it means then, you know, it kind of helps you for, um, you know, if you happen to play someone they did, um, or even just, you know, ideas on how you could play something differently. Um, yeah, it really was an entire weekend from, you know, getting to, the, to Canberra Airport um, from Brisbane. I think the boys picked me up because I got there a little bit earlier, but like 5.30 until 10 a.m. on the Monday morning when we flew out. It was basically talking about ninth age nonstop the entire weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. how good is it? <laughs> yeah, mate, it's great. It's great. Because well, I – like one thing I meant uh, forgot to mention earlier. So I played a lot of tourneys back in the day. Um, I used to go to about four or five – or maybe more actually, probably like, yeah, five, six, seven a year. Um, we, we didn't have a huge scene in South Australia. I mean, we got – in that last two years I was playing, um, we – I think the biggest – so I, I won a couple of events actually. Like I, I had a pretty good year the last year I played. I played four. I won three of them. Um, and we actually did a South Australian Masters because it was kind of the – I think the, the – uh, sorry, the – Warhammer team back then was very much the the eastern state, so it was kind of Victoria, New South Wales, and Queensland, um, and then you know it was obviously a bit further to travel from from South Australia. So we actually had our own um, South Australian Masters um, back then, but I always used to sit there looking, you know, on Wargamer AU, um, and just you know wanting to go and like a little kid in a candy store wanting to go to all you know Convic and DogCon and. Um, <laughs> Pancon and Oktoberfest, like, you know, all these big events. And there was one bloke from um, who actually used to play. He, he qualified, I think, three years in a row for the the National Masters who was from South Australia. He was, like, the only South Australian player. And, um, and it, you know, he was, yeah, trying to convince me to um, get my parents to, to pay for it so I could go because I was only about 14 or 15. <laughs> but, yeah, so it was pretty cool. That was my first interstate event. Um, you know, I'd always dreamed of going to one as a – as a young fella and, and now I can. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, nice. Nice. So day two, um, so you were feeling a bit hungover. Oh, I was in a world of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I survived that experience to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I not only was a little bit dusty, but I also really struggled to sleep. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it was, but yeah, I, I woke up at 4 a.m. On the, on the, on the first day morning and the next day morning, it was about 4.30, like as in Brisbane time. Hmm. Um, so it would have been, you know, what, 5 a.m. and, and 5.30, I think. Uh, and we got to, we didn't get to bed on the, you know, that Sunday morning until about 1 a.m. So it was going into day two, about three and a half hours sleep. Um, I'd been, you know, overthinking my matchup. I was playing Max, um, Max Wharton and his Beast Herds. Um, and... Max is a again absolute legend of a bloke. Um, very similar to Sam when it comes to being like a walking encyclopedia of the rulebook. Um, you know he knows you know all of the intricacies. Um, and again, I learned you know a whole whole bunch of things. And um, I probably will call it that that was my favourite game of the weekend. Didn't you get um, a a run of the glorious men of Ninth Age? You could make a calendar out of the the beautiful men that you got to play that weekend. <laughs> Just did a highlights tour of the Ninth Age scene. <laughs> All the good ones. <laughs> yeah, we get them dressed up in fireman costumes. Um, That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so played Maxi. I'd spoken to Max a couple of times on you know Facebook Messenger, um, and. 
yeah, he's, he's got a YouTube channel that, you know, I've been following for a while. Um, and you know, I quite enjoy his videos. He's, he's very in depth. He's very insightful. Um, he's also like, I think he, you, you get those players, I think in, you know, um, tournament scenes where, you know, they can be a bit gamey. Um, he, I think really champions the idea of, um, like that. I'm not sure if you're a cricket fan, mate, but you get that, you know, in cricket, if you you're running between wickets and they um, the ball hits the batsman, uh, you don't run. Like so, it's even though you can, like it's almost like the gentleman's agreement that you don't. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he's very much like that, and you know, I like I try and like to think myself like that as well, um, where possible. Uh, you know, in tournaments, I guess you know it, it is competitive, um, but there is uh, there is definitely a line that you just don't cross. Yeah. Um, even if it's in the rules, I think you know that that's kind of my my view on it. Um, and yeah, so Max's beast herds. Now I got quite fortuitous that the um, the secondary. I was like, there's two left. Um, also, there's three left. And I was like, I looked at them and I was like, oh, please, can it just be hold the center? Um, because obviously, that was probably the best objective for me for the entire event. Um, because I've got two stubborn blocks that can hold the center really well. Um, I'd only played Beast Herds once before. I got towed up by Trav Cram in a uh, – it was my first tourney when I came back. I came second to last in. Um, and, yeah, I only played them once before. And to be honest, I don't know if I actually – oh, maybe played Beastmen once back in the day. Um, they weren't a hugely popular army in, in SA. Like, we, you know, we, we had a few tourneys that got up over that sort of 40-player mark, you know, in those last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, never really played Beastmen much. Um, so Max had a chariot star of characters. So it's three characters on a chariot, two wizard masters and a beast lord. Um, and then he's got oh, just a couple of wild horn um, units that he can either ambush or, or not. Um, he's got the 40 block of um, mongrels with spears. Um, and then he's got two Gortarks, two giants, and just some chaff. Um, what are they called? Fury, no, not Furies. Um, Harpy, no, Gorg, whatever those like flying chap are the beast herds have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Max, Max won the roll for for no, sorry, I won the roll for side. Now there was a building nearly in the middle of um, actually might have been impar- yeah, it was sorry, it was an impassable um, right in the middle of what's well, so yeah, building impassable. Um, Right in the middle. And I was like, right, I'm going to take the side. And it basically meant that you, the, 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 the penny was like right there. So you'd actually have to wheel around it and expose your flank to get onto it. Mm. Um, you could get within six of it, but then you would be, your unit would be isolated because of that um, piece of terrain. Like if you had, you know, one unit on that side, it'd be really hard for your unit on the other side to, to get to that unit and support them. So I took the opposite side because I didn't want to have to deal with that. Um, and I basically deployed similar to how I did in, in game one against Alex. Like I, I kind of had like knights each flank. Um, I like what did I have then the, the spec hunters I had up, not, not back. Um, but I had him on the opposite side to where his chariot star was. So the magic, you know, um, you know, if you tried, if he didn't actually take swarm of insects, but if he had, I'd be able to sort of defend from it. Um, and then I had one unit of ghoul, my little ghoul dart. I've got 10 ghouls. And I really like it as anti-chaff because I just threw out so many attacks. So I had them 
them facing forwards on my board edge with a unit of race facing backwards. And the idea was if his ambushes came on, depending on like he, he basically couldn't put them within their um, their line of sight for either of those units. Um, and the idea with the race is to be able to terror bomb them, hopefully off the board. Um, and then I was like, right, we're just gonna we're gonna push up. The biggest thing for me is I, I actually kind of fancied the matchup, especially with that scenario, because I was like, the only thing I have to, to make sure is that Chariot Star does not get the charge and that the ghouls fight the Gortax. Um, that that was basically what I wanted. And to try and keep yeah the anything with armor away from the Gortax because those things are frightening. Um, so that's, yeah, kind of how it went. Um, you know, Max basically had his Chariot Star on one flank with two giants um, and a little scoring unit, um, which he very cleverly put right on like one inch away from the um, the building and was able to move them up. He dropped the first turn um, and basically managed to get them there so that they could start competing for the objective straight away, which put pressure on me to have to get something to it, um, which of course then makes it, you know, easy for him to hopefully get a charge with the chariot star. Um, then he had his unit of mongrels on the other side. Um, they weren't in range of it, but they were, or maybe they were, but yeah, they were one inch away again with the two Gortarks on their flank. So I was like, right, I'm going to push on that flank. So the ghouls went for it. Um, he, he managed to get a uh, totemic summon um, in my back line, just the, the small one, uh, which got rid of a unit of bats and then got into the back of my um, spectral hunters, which was annoying because I really wanted to try and terror bomb his mongrels off, then zone the Gortarks with them, um, because they had the ward save against their attacks and then be able to hopefully get the ghouls over. Um, but unfortunately, got rid of the spec hunters. So I pushed the ghouls up and I, I went for a, it was like a nine inch charge, which I got on the, um, he decided to hold on the uh, mongrels. Um, it was a bloody combat. I did 19 wounds. I think he did 12 or 13. Um, but I, I auto broke him on, on combat res because. Um, yeah, obviously all the ranks, uh, plus one of combat res from Von Karnstein. That, that's another bonus, something for 10 points. It's an absolute bargain. Um, then of course I was, I overran and, um, cause I was like, I don't want to really, really want to get charged by the Gortax in the flank. So I overran, so he couldn't charge me, but he used them really cleverly that, you know, basically I had to turn around and I, I was able to get it. So I copped both in the front. But, you know, I knew I was going to get charged by them the next turn. There was not nothing I could really do about it, unfortunately. Um, my magic support was too far away um, with my missiles. Um, on the other side, basically, I was like, right, I want to try and chaff him until I'm able to charge the Barrowguard into his chariot star. I was like, I think I can – I don't know if I'll be able to break it, but I was like, I, I, I know I, he probably won't grind me out because I've got the sword on the, on the, like, the count – um, you know, if he does one or two wounds, I'm getting an extra two back. I've got, you know, three raises in total. I'm, I'm pretty confident, you know, especially with the unit having parry and I've got the Barry King in there as well that, you know, they're, if, if I get the charge, I could potentially break them because I've got a static combat res of six or seven. Um, and I think seven on the charge six, you know, um, when I'm not charging. Um, and, yeah, that, that was kind of the plan. I managed to, to basically get that off. And um, oh, sorry, before I get to that bit, uh, I think you saw this, didn't you? The, did you see the four sixes on five dice from his um, for his lethal strikes on my vampire count from one of the Gortux? Yeah, that is filthy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and that's what I mean, right? Like, I think you know, my my philosophy 
or theory with with um, you know uh, war dollies, uh, as my girlfriend calls it, is put yourself in a position to win twenty nil. And if it like if the the dice are against you, you should be able to draw and get ten points or nine points. Um, or at worst seven. So you should realistically. So I think if you're losing by more than seven points, you I, I, like it, it's very rare that you could ever blame dice for that. That there's got to be something yeah. that you, whether it's deployment, um, and it's probably deployment, especially if if it's a bad matchup. Like mm. you know, I think you should be able to get seven points um, if you play well without dice, and you could have the worst dice you know imaginable. And over the course of a five or six event, uh, sorry, round tournament, you know that that might only be one game where that happens. So I think if you're, you know, that, that that's kind of my my attitude on it. Um, and what I'm trying to take forward is, yeah, don't, don't blame dice, and because you you get spikes as well, right? It, it, yeah. it swings and roundabout. So Maxi got the spike this time. Um, I think so, I actually laughed. I was like, uh, so often when I look at a spike, I I I like. You know, I might have good, bad, or, you know, good dice or bad dice. Um, and I look at something and I'm frustrated, say, on a bad, bad dice or bad dice rolls. But when I step back or look at it, you know, think about it after the game, that bad dice that I com- complained about or was annoyed about was like a 20% chance. And I'm like, well, that happens. Like, it's still, it's still um, a chance. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Like, if it's, if it's a one in a hundred chance, you know, if it's the you failed a re rollable 10. Uh, you know, leadership check or something on your dwarf block. Yeah, right. You can be a little bit frustrated because the odds of that are like, you know, less than a, you know, 0.1 of a percent or something. Yep, that that was shitty and that happened. But if it's, you know, a 30% chance and it didn't go your way, yeah, that's that, that's that's going to happen. That's a 30% chance. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, you know, I mean, it's like they say, you know, you've got more chance of um, getting hit by a car, oh, sorry, dying in a car accident on the way to the beach than getting eaten by a shark, but people still get eaten by sharks. There is a very small percentage of chance, and it does happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that that's kind of my attitude on it. I mean, I didn't expect him to roll, you know, four sixes. I would have thought maybe one, two max on five dice, but, you know, it came off, um, and I managed to, like, fail. I think I passed – I think I passed three. I needed to pass four. No, no, I did. Sorry, I passed four, but I think he rolled a five from memory on the D3 wounds. Um, yeah, right. So, I mean, that's even dice kind of balancing itself out, right? Back, yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. yeah. He killed my vampire count in that unit, um, which, you know, part of the synergy there is – um, Steve's Destiny's call, so he's four up, four up. Obviously, no armor against the lethal strike, but you, you know that that kills the um, the stubborn synergy on the Gorks. Um, I managed to get one of the Gortux with that Gore unit. Um, he ended up getting the Gore unit, and I think the other Gortux survived on like it was it was on just one wound more than what I needed to be able to get uh, half points for him. I think he had two or three wounds um, from his six. Yeah, I think it was two wounds he was down to. Um, at the end of the game. But, yeah, I think the big combat was I finally managed to chaff him enough um, that I got the, you know, the ability to charge the chariot star. I think it was like a, it was like a six-inch. might have even been auto-charged, to be honest, from memory. Um, or I think I, I needed like a triple one to fail because I have swift stride on that um, on that unit, which is, is quite handy and um, will come to how unhandy it was in this game for me. But... <laughs> 
basically I beat them in combat and, and he auto broke the chariot star, which is, you know, if you think it's got his general in there and it's, it's close to 1800 points worth of characters. Um, so we're talking, it's 2000 victory points for that one unit. And Maxi roll goes to roll. And this was turn four from memory. And he goes to roll. Um, so it's bottom of four. He goes to roll uh, for his um, like flea um, move. And he rolls a six on his swift stride. And I'm like, surely, surely. And of course I rolled two, <laughs> one and a two. <laughs> and then he, then he rallied and then I charged him again. And then of course he killed my BSB, which was, um, who had, you know, Barry King's a pretty tanky, like, you know, five, uh, four wounds, res five, um, and he managed to get four, and I failed all four five up Aegis saves. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, um, it, it actually ended up being, uh, we tied the secondary, um, and it was, which I think he, to be honest, the secondary objective, Max played extremely well. I had six scoring units. One of his scoring units was behind me. So he only had two scoring units that actually could contest it. I had six. So for him to actually tie that objective, I think I could have done a lot better to, to, to win that objective. Um, but, you know, hats off to him. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, that, that swing with um, the, the Barragard failing to catch his chariot star, it was like a 2,500-point swing. So instead of looking at, you know, maybe a – 17, maybe even more. I haven't actually looked back and, and worked out the points of what it would be, but, you know, it could have been a 17, 18, um, and it ended up actually being an 11-9 loss for me, so 11, 11 points to him and to nine to me. But kind of goes to what I was talking about before. Um, you, you get yourself into a really good position to win big, and if things go against you, to come away with nine points is a good result. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like over the course of an event, if if you if every single game goes badly, you're still getting nearly 50 points um, from a five-game tourney. So you know, mm. could, couldn't complain. Um, it was you know, it, it could have been easily gone the other way, um, but it was yeah, probably my game of the event, which is funny because I didn't actually win it, but it was highly tactical. Um, learn a lot. Max is a great guy and would happily play him anytime. Um, now, unfortunately for me, that meant that I. Probably one of the worst matchups I could get from the event, which was um, my mate Lockie um, and his highborn elves, which are extremely mobile um, for uh, for game five. Did you get a game in that day, mate? No, I was in no state to be playing ninth day that day. <laughs> <laughs> what time did you get to bed? Uh, wasn't even that late. I reckon it was. Ooh, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe like one or two, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So similar similar to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that was, um, you know, basically game two. I think had the the result gone the other way, I'm pretty sure I would have played either Akhtar, Dave, or Aaron in the last game, um, which you know could have been pretty bad for me. I mean, Aaron, tough matchup with with the cornering dwarves. Um, Dave's list again, I, my eyes go cross eyed when I look at it, and Akhtar's list. I would probably have a slightly better matchup than most, but he's a phenomenal player. So just based on that, like just if you look at just the list, um, I think because I've got got plenty of chaff and I can raise it. Vampires versus vampires can be pretty um, cagey, I think, uh, even with those blender lords, because if I, you know, you just keep feeding each other chaff and end up, you you combat, you know, your combat units never even touch each other. Um, 
but yeah, I de- definitely didn't want to play either of them. Although I've actually drawn with Dave before I played him only once. Um, and I got a 10, 10, I had no idea who he was at the time. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until I looked at the rankings and saw he was second. I was like, Oh, okay. Yep. He's good. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, unfortunately I drew Lockie, um, played Lockie once before, uh, even though I, you know, good mates with him, see him, um, talk to him a lot. Uh, but I only, only ever actually got the one game in with him and he 20 me. Uh, that was about maybe my like 12th, 13th game. Um, so his list has got a pyro dragon. I don't know if it's, I can't remember if it's an ancient or just normal dragon. Uh, what else has he got? He's got a prince on a lion chariot with the diadem and protection. So he's got a four up Aegis. He's got a BSB on a horse. It goes in a unit of nine. Um, oh, they used to be silver helms. What are they called? Highborn lances. Um, he's got a block of spearmen, like 30 spearmen, I think. Uh, then, oh, then two units of reavers, two units of five reavers. I think that's his core. Um, and then he's got the six knights of Rhyme the old dragon princes. Um, he's got one of those fire phoenix um, with, the, with the rider. Um, Two two bolt throwers, I think that. Oh, and five. Um, what are they called? Used to be shadow warriors. Now they are gray gray watchers. Yeah, That's the ones. Um, so yeah, that that was his list. The the matchup was ex- like um, even worse because it was flags. Um, in order for me to get his flags, I've got to choose through thirty two spearmen, which is possible, but not with all the other stuff he's got. Um, especially when he deploys them in the back corner, it's really hard for him to get them. His only other scoring units are the Knights of Rhymer, which are move nine, March 18, and the Highborn Lancers, which are also move nine, March 18. Um, so it would be very, very hard for me to catch them while stopping him from getting, you know, I've got a unit of 10 ghouls, um, which are a flag, and 20 skellies, which are a flag, you know. Um, so I'm definitely going to swap those out for zombies, and I, I've actually tweaked that already in my list. But yeah, I was kind of up against it. Have you played Lockie before? Oh geez, um, yeah, I, I think so. But look, I think it was uh, a good while ago. Probably talking like three years, four years at uh, one of the Brisbane tournaments. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's very, very good player. Like you know, I think he would be in the conversation for probably the top five players in the country. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, I think, and, and Sam as well. So, you know, um, uh, you know, to play two two top players like that, you know, um, yeah, obviously hard games, but they're good good games for learning. I think, you know, I think some people when they return or they're new, whether you're a returning player or new, they get, you know, playing like I like getting really hard matchups against those guys because that's how you learn. Um, so I think it's, it's important for, and we'll go into that in growing the scene. Um, I think it's approaching with the right attitude. Um, but yeah, so I was like, right, if I can just get some points, I'm like, I've, I only have to make sure I don't lose 20 nil in this game. And I've achieved all of my, well, as long as I can finish in the top 10 of, um, I've achieved all of my goals. So unfortunately I've slid to seventh place now after starting the day in third. Um, so I was just in the top half still. Um, and yeah, basically my, my idea in this game, um, cause it was flags and it was that, what was the in out deployment called where it's like, um, well, sorry, fat shot, uh, fat side, short side. Uh, we call it, um, big titties, big belly. Uh, but it's tacker <laughs> defender, I think, isn't it? You, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you gentlemen up North call it top hat and tails or something, don't you? 
Oh, probably. Oh um, yeah, it was. I was. I was very impressed by uh, by what one of the guys was saying was. But yeah, big titties, big belly is is what it's called. Actually, here. I think Lockie calls it skinny side, fat side, oh, or, right. um, <laughs> something like that. But um, yeah, so that that was the that was the deployment. I was like, right, um, I want to try and like. I'm hoping he's going to drop for first. That's what I was expecting. Um, he did, but not as early as I was. Um, you know, like was was thinking we would but basically what it is a lot of the time um you know I, I like the bat swarms because they're 110 points they're not that their fly isn't as good as um the giant bats but you know they're still even if they're outside general's range i can they still got six inch move which means it's it, unless i deploy them right in a corner and my general's the other side of the board most of the time i can usually get them you know, it's only one round of six inch move before I get them back into the 12, um, depending on where my general is. So what I basically did, I was like, I'm going to try and fox him into thinking that I'm going to deploy normally. And then I'm actually going to corner. This is the first time. I just want to preface this. This is the only time in my war gaming career of, you know, 20 years with a 10 year break that I've ever cornered, never done it before, not once, but, this is what the secondary, you know, uh, obviously does. You, you actually, there are unfortunately some matchups where it is the best thing to do, um, which, you know, I think is a point of contention in some podcasts I've heard where some people call that, you know, it, that, that's negative play and the secondary is designed to their, like it, it kind of encourages negative play. Um, but, you know, I think it's also a different tactical element to consider and, you know, there would obviously be times an army would have to deploy like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Correct. I yeah, mean, okay. we 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 could say that the secondary could encourage negative play, but God, the amount of cornering I saw from Dwarf Army, double cannon Dwarf armies in Eighth Edition, um, <laughs> I reckon we saw a lot more of them than what we see today. So I, I would, yeah, okay. There might be there might be corner instances where uh, you're encouraged to um, to deploy negatively because of the secondary. But I think the secondary probably has a more positive outcome of forcing people to push out more often than than the negative outcome of the occasional corner. Well, that's it. Like if you corner, um, you know, flags is probably the only one you can get away with staying in your corner for the entire game. Correct. Yeah. Uh, or maybe king of the hill, uh, depending uh, on, you know, I think it depends yeah, on where the, yeah, where, where the terrain is. But yeah, like it's um. Yeah, probably, probably the only one that you can, you know, stay in um, in the corner. Um, but, yeah, so and, and I, I guess cornering really is just an extreme refused flank. Like, yeah. that's basically what it is. Um, yeah, so I cornered first time ever. I'm, I feel the shame. Um, it's washed away finally now. But, you know, it was, um, yeah, <laughs> I popped my cherry on that one. Um, because, yeah, basically I couldn't, you know, he would just pick it off, you know, and I know how lucky he plays. He he plays avoidance and he does it very well. Um, and, yeah, I, I basically was like, right, I've, you know, I'm going to try and now get the dragon. That was basically because like, if I can kill the dragon, um, you know, I can potentially push because all of a sudden he's going to have to try and get behind my line and he's only got the Phoenix that can fly over me. And I've got enough units that I can at least try and divert him away from getting, you know, other stuff behind me. And plus if I get the dragon, realistically, I can go, right, cool. That's the game done for me. 
um, do you want to kind of try and get my scoring units? I've, I've got, you know, nine or a thousand points worth of your stuff. And are you going to pick off enough? And are you going to have to push at me? Um, that was kind of my idea. So I took, you know, all the, all the snipes I had. So I had Hasten the Hour, Mark for Doom and um, the Breath of Corruption. Um, and that was kind of my, kind of my plan. Um, and I actually got Mark for Doom off twice on the dragon. Let me have it. And of course, both times I rolled a one to wound, um, <laughs> which is, yeah, just, uh, again, you know, swings and roundabouts with dice. I had stuff earlier where, you know, um, it, it went my way and like, you know, my vampire popped a, a you know, BSB. Um, I mean, mathematically you would expect that to happen. Um, the, the vampire, you know, killing the BSB and the, when he's got shield breaker, so he's what, AP six or seven, um, you know, but, that, that obviously went in my way. So yeah, unfortunately um, that happened in, in, a, in the very final combat of the game, Lockie managed to get my flag um, and he won 15, five as a result. So to be in a position to come away with eight points in that matchup, I was pretty happy. Um, and yeah, it, it was just a lot of dancing around each other. Like basically you got one of my units of knights, you got my three units of bats and I got, I think both units are Reavers. I got his general down to one wound. Um, and yeah, that, that was, it was a very cagey game, um, but it shows how important the secondary is, right? A cagey game, not many points go down, but you still lose 15-5. You know, in the, in the old days, it would have been probably a 12-8. Um, so, well, sorry, yeah, it would have been a 12-8. Um, yep. But yeah, so I think I came away with, well, talk through the goals I set at the start. Um, I didn't lose 20 nil, so I achieved that goal. Uh, I ended up fin- finishing 10th, so that was a big, um, you know, win over the um, Max predicted me in the bottom half. Um, and then I – what was my other goal? Um, Not to – oh, no, that's it, right? I had to, to beat Alex. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Or, or to at least draw that game, and obviously I got the big win, 17-3 against him. Um, so yeah, basically hit every goal that I wanted to. Um, I, yeah, I mean, just slightly disappointed, um, a little bit of history. I, the last two day event that I played in, I was using Bretonians. This was, uh, so, you know, modern day KOE. This was in seventh edition. Um, that, that year that I told you, so this is 2009, the last year of seventh edition. Um, the, so this would have been the third event for the year. So I ended up winning one after that, but um, yeah, this was the last two day event that I, I played in, um, before last uh, two weekends ago. Yeah. Yeah. CanCon. Um, so it's 2009. Um, anyway, day, day one, I, um, I actually didn't sleep the entire night before I was up painting movement trays. I basically committed to painting an entire KOE army or Bretonian army in six weeks. Um, so we're talking like 50 something nights, 40 men at arms, 30 <sighs> trebuchet, um, and yeah, I did. I did basically a Teutonic Knight themed um, Bretonian army. Um, I'm not sure if I've shown you pictures before, but um, yeah. and some yeomen that I converted as well um, from pistoliers. Um, so I was up. I, I decided I was staying at a mate's place nearby. It was a fair trek. I'm not sure if you've been to Adelaide before, but it was out north. Um, 
was a guy, a group called Group North, actually, the, the, they were a uh, wargaming club. Uh, it was called Crow's Feast, and I'd been to Crow's Feast three or four times, I think, in total. Um, and I think I got best general the first year I went, um, but, I yeah, I'd never podiumed. Um, and, yeah, obviously, it was coming into it with red-hot form, but I took the, the Bretonians instead of the Vamps, um, and I hadn't run them uh, since uh, my very first tournament, 6th edition. Um, and I played a practice game the night before and got spanked by my mate. And because I played the practice game, I was like, oh, I need to get these movement trays done because I didn't think it would take me that long. Lo and behold, that were the, do you remember the GW ones where you could cut them up into your own like uh, shapes that you wanted and you'd stick like the little um, like the edges and stuff onto them? Do you remember those? Yeah, yeah, those little uh, those little lips, those little plastic lips that they all came with. Yeah, yeah, so that were those. And there I am, like, I didn't start it until like 11 or 10.30 at night, and I thought I'd have plenty of time. I'd be in bed by 1 a.m., be fine. <laughs> Mate, I'm there, like, doing the final dry brush of bleach bone over the scorch brown and putting static grass on these things at 6 o'clock in the morning when the two other yeah. lads up, so ready to go to the event because, you know, we have to be there at 8, we want to get breakfast beforehand. Like, yeah. mate, have you been to bed? I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they look good, though. <laughs> so, anyway, I've, yeah, I've gone into this tourney and um, I drew a Bretonian guy in the first round um, and I beat him 20 nil because I, I, I had this night bus. It had a BSB and a Paladin in it. Um, and I had like BSB with a war banner um, or the unit. So the unit had war banner. Um, and I had a virtue that gave plus one to combat res and I had uh, three ranks in the unit. Um, so if I didn't lose any models, that unit was actually static combat res six. So I actually used to be really cheeky with it. And I, I used to set traps with it and actually run that unit up um, and just put it in front of one of their units. And be like, And they'd be like, yeah, I'm going to charge it for sure. It's a night unit, but it's static yeah. combat res six. Um, and I'd still get, you know, like oh, however many attacks. And that, that was back in the day where you didn't actually get – um, you know, if, if they charged in, they'd obviously go first, but you know, only your front rank used to get to attack. So, yeah. um, yeah, basically that's what I did to him. I let his knights charge mine. I beat him on combat res and ran them down. And then that basically crumbled his entire center. So I won that 20 nil. Um, and then I played, uh, a, a lizard men army in the, the next game. And I've actually forgotten who I played in the final round, but I basically won all three games, 20 nil sitting on 60 battle points at the end of day one. And I'm like, finally, I'm going to break. I've never won a two-day event. I've won lots of, like, you know, well, not lots. I think I, I think in total I won about five or six one-day events, um, you know, in the uh, probably 20 tourneys I've been to or 25 tourneys I've been to, which is not too bad. But I've never, to me, a real, you know, not, not you know, taking anything away from one-day tourneys. You know, the the two-day is the marathon. Um, yeah. And, of course, the next day I had very, something very similar um, to what actually happened that game with Max where I, one leadership dice roll turned it from, um, um, I think I was up 17-3 and ended up, I, I won it, but it was like 11-9. And that put me in a matchup against Demons in the final round. And I got 20 and um, I came fourth. <laughs> oh. So I've got a bit of a curse when it comes to two-day events. So, you know, slightly disappointed I didn't um, do a little bit better. Um, but again, you know, Couple of things don't go your way. You still finish in the top half. I think that's a good result. But you know, that was, um, yeah, that was basically my uh, my CanCon or CantCon, I should say. Um, great event, awesome venue. One of probably yeah. the best yeah. tournament venue I've I've ever been to. Um, yeah. You know, it's got the sideboards. The guy there that runs it is extremely friendly. Um, 
there's a cafe across the street. Um, you know, they, they sell food. There's actually almost like that little cafe inside the actual event. Um, yep. sorry, um, uh, inside the venue, sorry. Um, yeah, really, really good. Um, you know, you ran a really tight ship um, and had a really, really good time. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, so that was run out of Jolt Games in Canberra, and they, um, yeah, they always put on a good show for us every year. Um, yeah, who look after us. So, so just going over um, the leaderboard at the end of that. So, um, third place was uh, one of your opponents, Mr. Max Walker, uh, with his Beast Herd Army. Um, second place was Dave Trickett running the Demon Legions, and uh, first place was Akhtar Khan running the Vampire Counts with um, with the double uh, the double choppy Lord build that he's been pushing around for years and loving. So. It's a yeah. so super tough list. Those those two lords. I was actually listening to um uh the Masters Open um like a, a sort of the Thundercocks podcast in the UK. Yeah. Um, and one of the guys on that um Rory he played a uh, very similar build to that um with the two choppy lords and it's something like on average they'll do twelve wounds. So I think one I think the one that gets the um I think reroll ones. I think he he does like seven on average, or is it mm-hmm. five? And then the other guy, the one that gets the um the extra attack for every wound they cause, will do average seven wounds per turn, yeah. um, which is just, you know, if you've got two characters in a in a combat that can do twelve wounds on average, that's not even taking into account a spike like that's and and we're not just talking about you know strength four AP one wounds. We're talking yeah. the charge. These guys are well, I think one strength six. I think the other guy. Can't remember what weapon he runs on him, um, whether he has a lance on that one. But you know, we're we're talking at least strength five, you know, AP two, if not, you know, I mean, one strength six, AP three, the one with this. I can't remember what he runs on the other one, but you know, red, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those guys are um, yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was CanCon. Good event, all in all, I think. And, um, yeah. Really, really great to get the get everyone back together and get everyone rolling dice face to face again. That's it, mate. And I, I reckon we could double that next year, realistically. Like I think it's quite possible, maybe even more. Um, the only, I actually, problem yeah. is the venue. Um, they can only have thirty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, we'd make it work if we had to. If it, we've always said we'll we'll get as many as uh, as want to turn up. Um, so yeah, we'd we'd make it work. Um, which is probably a nice segue into uh, into the main topic of our discussion, which is uh, talking about growing the scene. How do we grow the scene? Yeah, mate, I think, you know, there's big props to guys like Bobo, you know, um, Glenn, um, you know, I, I think Manuel, you know, yourself, um, those guys that work tirelessly to uh, – Sam obviously now does the rankings, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think – you know, but they're the kind of people that we need in the scene to be able to grow it. And but they can't do it all. That's the thing. You know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, you know, they're just like the night days themselves. They're volunteers. You know, they do it because they love it and they care about it. You know, they're, they're obviously very. All of those guys are very good players. Um, like Bobo in, um, in particular. <laughs> I've heard him now a couple of times described uh, regarded as the um, the best player in the world. Um, <laughs> And it's actually funny. I remember asking that guy in South Australia when I was, um, I think I, it was during that year I was having a really good run and I was like, 
It's like, Sean, I was like, am I the best uh, under-18s player in the country? He's like, nah. I was like, really? <laughs> he's, he's like, mate, there's this guy named Bo. He's like, you know, Bobo on Wargamer. I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy. He's like, um, he's like, he is, yeah, because I think, you know, back then he was in the, in the in the Masters and stuff. Like, he was, you know, very, very good. Um, and, yeah, he, I've not had the pleasure of playing him yet. Um, but from what I've um, understood, it, it's like he's playing chess and you're playing checkers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, slight little segue there. But yeah, I think that that that's really you know what what it needs. And if you think there's you know a couple of names I mentioned there that already put a big amount of time in, um, you know all of the events we run here. You know Glenn's gone and purchased all of the terrain himself and mm-hmm. brings it to all of our events up here. You know. That that's obviously a massive um, props again to to Glenn and and what he does. But I think, you know, if we want to have those tournaments where we're getting fifty or a hundred players, we're going to need twenty people, not four or five. You know, putting in that effort um, and yeah. and doing those things. So I think that's that's the first one. And I I've, I've been thinking, you know, maybe do we get all those people that are. You know, there's a, a thing, it's a bit like, you know, the ETC team that obviously Dave, you know, sorry, you know, should mention Dave and, and the other cap previous captains, Akhtar, I'm not sure who else is actually captain. They're the only two I know of, but, you know, they obviously put a big, big amount of effort into running the ETC team as well. Um, and yeah, what, what I've basically been thinking, mate, is like, do, do we need to actually almost come up with an Australian, um, like I know back in the day they, they basically had like a, and I know AOS have this where they've got like a, a state representative from every state in Australia, almost like a shadow council, kind of like a sports club committee. Um, that, that almost you have like a, is it AGM? What are they called? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that's sort of one idea, you know, it, like basically where you've got, um, you know, there, there's a president of the Australian ninth age community. There's a secretary, there's a treasurer, you know, and actually have that formalized stuff and you go, right, you know, in order for tournaments, and this is what they had back in the day, was in order for tournaments to be considered in the rankings, they must adhere to X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, that that's just one piece, which which makes it, you know, more uniformed, um, fairer, yeah. you know, competition, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, even something as simple as um, if we said to every single player, we're going to run a doubles event or a teams event, and – every single person has to try and find someone, you know, you've got three months and you've got to try and find someone that's a, a returning player or a new player and you've got to teach them the game and they're your partner for the, t- for the tournament. Mm. I think stuff like that, um, you know, could, could definitely help grow the game. Like what, what do you think yourself? Yo, look, I think that's a great idea. Um, we, we've been pushing doubles ninth age here um, quite a bit in Vic to, to get new players to give it a crack. Um, so we play um, at a at a club called Thornbury Bowls Club on a Wednesday night, uh, a group called Axes and Ales. Um, and that group is a pretty varied group of, um, of players of just a whole bunch of different games. So there's a heap of 40K players, there's bolt action, there's uh, blood bowl, uh, you know, down to real small skirmish games, that sort of thing. So it's a real mixed group. Um, and we've been playing games there pretty regularly. Um, and we've we've often said to a few guys that have sort of been a little bit interested, cool, come along next week. I'll bring another another army. Uh, we'll play doubles, uh, 2,000 points 
uh, each of us aside. So 4,000-point game, but, you know, two 2,000-point armies. Um, and, you know, give it a try. Um, I'll talk you through it. Um, this is how you play. You know, we'll send them over the rules and everything so they can have a read-up if they want beforehand. And it's just a great way. Like, it's just a real social way to, to play Ninth Age um, when you've got a couple of people on one side, you know, on each side playing sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. I like, like that idea. Yeah, I think it can, you know, and, and it's it's not a, a not a new topic. You know, it can be very um, like a massive turn off to some people if they, you know, go to a tournament, they're you know, a very new player and they get absolutely spanked. So I think, um, yeah. you know, like I, I was a returning player, I know that I'm still going to get belted by these guys, um, and you know, and I welcome it because I want to learn. But I don't yeah. think everyone looks at it like that, and understandably, like it's not it's not that enjoyable when you're going and um, and you're watching your toys get taken off, right? For you know, for a lot of people, um, you know, I think the more competitive you are, the you know, you, you, if you can try and turn it into a lesson, um, and and sort of approach it like that, you know, I've I've like Glenn, I got beaten seventeen three. Glenn's a great player. Um, I managed to somehow get a sneaky ten ten against Dave. Um, I've you know. Josh towed me up, you know, countless times. Lockie has, you know, Sam has. All these guys are, are you know, very, very good players. Um, and, you know, I, the way I approach it is to, like, I'm, I'm, I welcome that, but I don't think yeah. most people sort of think like that. Um, returning players that maybe used to be quite competitive in their scene might approach like that if they want to get back to that kind of level. Um, yeah. But, you know, how many of those are there? But, you know, I think that, you know, could be a way. Um, and what are your thoughts on maybe a if you if you had that sort of you know national council of you know ninth age Australia sort of thing, like and make it a, like a proper official thing with you know voting and you know have like a president and all that stuff. If you had maybe like a, a representative of each state, so Victoria had a president um, or a vice president. You know, there was a vice president in New South Wales, a vice president in Canberra, a vice president in Queensland. Advice, I don't know. I want to try and seek to get this game back into South Australia because no one there plays it um, at yeah. all anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you've got like sort of the president that oversees all of it. Um, you know, it's all it's all voted by the community. Obviously, you have to nominate yourself, but you know, um, I know I definitely put my hand up to to help in any way I could. Um, I think. It's um it's something we were trying to get going a few years ago before COVID hit. Um, and Glenn, to his credit, um, put in a bit of groundwork to get it going. It wasn't so much a, an official um, appointment to a role, but basically got going a um a sort of uh, a WhatsApp chat for all of the tournament organisers. So um, Glenn was our sort of Brisbane tournament organiser. Um, Jack Blanche at that time was sort of Sydney Newcastle tournament organiser. Uh, ben and myself were down here in Vic, who were doing the Vic GT and another tournament we were run at the time. Um, and I think I think it might have been Manuel um, who was the Canberra Canberra tournament organiser. So we just had that chat to so that we knew. All right, what dates are you planning for this year? What's the tournament pack going to look like? Um, as you say, like get the tournament results, getting those uploaded and sent across to to be part of the ranking system. Um, so it was a good way to to have that group of people who are going to be, you know, putting all those tournaments together to get some consistency across the results and a consistency across the player pack and that sort of thing. So. 
So I also think it should be like, you know, and this is just, I guess, an opinion. I'm, I'm quite opinionated, but um, I feel like it shouldn't have to be the same guys organizing the tournaments every time, especially if it means they don't yeah. get to play. Yeah. 100%. I feel like it should be, you know, if it's a because commu- it is, it's a community based game. And if it's going to be driven by the community, I feel like it should be a, you know, like, um, Almost like a again, like it's it's kind of a drawn out of a hat, or there's a, a roster. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, because because a lot of the I, I remember the events I used to go to back in the day. Those guys didn't necessarily play. They, you know, they happened to be involved in a club where they played other games, um, or yeah. you know, what so a couple of them, you know, they owned businesses that supplied hobby stuff. So their way of getting people into their business was by running tournaments. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, if Glenn runs four tournaments a year, like, I don't think it's fair that Glenn doesn't get to, like, and sometimes you get to play, don't get me wrong, mm. um, but I don't think it's fair if Glenn runs four tournaments in a year that Glenn, and, and let's say it just the numbers work out that he doesn't get to play. I don't know if that's fair either. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, having that, yeah, like some mechanics behind it, I think would definitely um, – Make it make it fairer and 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 get more people involved. And many hands make light work, right? Like the more yeah. people are involved, you know, it's better for I think to have ten people doing one hour than one person doing ten hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of the issue with, that was kicked around at um at the time in that group was um if if someone like Glenn takes the lead and does organise like four tournaments a year, how does he get his ranking points up? Like if he wants to play, if he's keen, if he wants to, and he wants to be competitive, he wants to play in, um, in a Masters. He's not a chance because he just hasn't got enough tournaments left in the year to to get the points up. Um, and that was just one of the issues that was kicked around. So. Yeah. Oh, mate, hundred percent. Um, you know, and 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 you could even, I think, just saying, oh, that person gets a guaranteed spot in their own tournament doesn't even doesn't always work because. If a player drops out, it's usually the TO then that you know that like myself, I only enough managed to um managed to I accidentally forgot to to add Glenn to my list. Um, he paid and I had his list and everything and I knew he was playing, but I hadn't actually put him on the list number of players. So I'm there desperately in the last two days trying to find a player, um, <laughs> and I found someone. Um, oh, sorry, I couldn't I couldn't find someone and then someone dropped out. And what would have actually happened is, had I added Glenn and actually counted my numbers correctly, is it would have worked out perfect numbers. Yeah. When I was running around trying to find someone, um, or I actually had one too many, so I would have been, I think, the four, 15th player. I think we had 14 from memory. Uh, so, like, we had 15, so, you know, we, we needed one more. But I thought we actually had um, – but, yeah, like, can't remember exactly how it worked, but, yeah, basically – I um unfortunately one of the lads had to pull out. He was sick, and um then I ran around frantically that morning, messaging a couple of guys, being like, "Hey, can you can you come down and play?" Because I was I was like, "Oh, you know, I'd, I'd love to play myself, but you know, obviously happy to to um to, to sit back and, and watch if I have to." But the uh, the funny thing was when that guy came down, um and I was like, "Cool, yep, sweet, now I get to play." Rah, rah, rah. And then I was kind of I was like, "It doesn't work. Why isn't twenty people aligning to it?" And then we cross references like, oh my god, I forgot to put Glenn in. I was like, whoops. I was like, oh, I'm not playing, guys. Um, so that was, um, yeah, that that was a bit funny. But um, yeah, I, I agree 100. percent Like, you know, I think 
in a, in a in a highly competitive scene, which you know compared to the old days, I think this is a much more competitive scene. Yeah. Um, you always had your competitive guys, but you know only half the guys there would be you know in a real competitive sort of driven going now. I want a podium. Whereas these days, you know, every single player is like I think the the, the skill level of player is a lot better than what, what I remember from you know back in the day, and you know I think everyone is pretty competitive, um, which is good. Like I I like that. I'm a, I'm a really competitive person myself, um, you know. So I think it yeah it, it, it needs to be a fairer way of um of, of definitely giving up the the to responsibilities. Yeah. It does. Um, I think you're 100 percent right that um, you know. Whereas previously we might have a had a, had a you know 100 player tournament of which 20 of them won a podium. So you know, it, 80 percent of the players there are just social and having a beer and rolling some dice and pushing some stuff around. Now yeah. we've got a 20 player tournament, but 20 of them won a podium. <laughs> like we've sort of we've yeah. kept that real competitive uh, that competitive group, the guys that really love this game. Um, and I think that's part of the challenge that I've seen in growing um, the scene here in Melbourne. Um, and we're, I'd, I'd like to think we're a pretty relaxed uh, ninth age community here in Melbourne. Um, but it, it is a bit of a steep learning curve when you get new players. I mean, uh, the last tournament we had here in Melbourne was um, Southern Invasion. And we had, oh, just off the top of my head, probably about 20, 24 players. Um, and, you know, a bunch of guys came in from uh, interstate and the real competitive group guys came. And we probably had oh, probably four or five new players. But it's a real steep learning curve for those guys to turn up and um, uh, and sort of play against, you know, in a in a very competitive scene sort of thing. So we found that as a little bit of a challenge. And, and, and as a result, we've sort of encouraged some real social days. We've had a... Um, We've had a a, uh, a tournament that we ran on Melbourne Cup that encouraged everyone to bring cavalry only lists. Um, you know, we we play the we play the doubles stuff at um, at a at a pub on a on a Wednesday night. Um, you know, just try different ways to mix it up that just encourages you to to you know just push some dice, you know, push some models around and, and roll some dice sort of thing to to get these guys to try it out. So yeah, yeah, I think like I don't know if you remember. Um, or maybe they didn't have it when, when like you sort of came back in in eighth. But GW used to run a, a tourney called Conflict, and you were only allowed to go to Conflict once. Hmm. You weren't allowed to actually go uh, after your first time. You had to go to the GT after that, the GW ran. Yeah, right. So the, the, and the, basically, Conflict was only a thousand points, whereas the, the uh, their GT was usually two thousand or twenty two fifty. And so basically the idea behind it was this is a tournament for people that have never played in tournaments. Um, yep. You know, I remember I went and it came about seventh or eighth out of 30 players. Um, it was great. You know, the, the GT was going on in the background as well, but, and it was about 60 or 70 players. Um, because you got, because it was such a big prestigious event, you actually got some people from interstate that would come for that one. Um and you know, that, I think that was a really good entry point. So, you know, I think that then comes back to like, you know, is it that you have, um, you know, that there is maybe each state has an has an entry level tournament where you you're not allowed, like the top players aren't allowed to go, but maybe what you could do is have it where there's a buddy system. 
So you actually have each each new player or returning player gets paired with someone who's you're, you're almost like back in cricket they used to have non-playing captains. <laughs> yep. So basically, like I get paired with you know this guy, um, and he's you know never been to a tournament before or he's a returning player that wants to get back into it. Um, you know, you get paired with another one and the four of us, like basically it's him playing and, um, you know, and we're basically there to help him. Mm. Um, it's kind of the, you know, the competitive guys giving back and, and like mindset and attitude that everyone has to approach with something like that would be that, you know, I, the biggest tournament I've played in was 44 players back in South Australia. Cause I could, you know, unfortunately that was, about the biggest it got to. Um, but, you know, the, the likes of Bobo, Trav, you know, they would remember Tawny's Light, Convict and DogCon and, um, you know, Ancon back in the day that got 200 plus, right? Mm. The bigger the Tawny, I, I find is the more fun. It, you know, it, it is a lot more fun when there's more players. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you're also, like, you're not getting drawn against the same people every round as well, right? Like, yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, this this guy that you know is really really good that you know either comes from another state that's never been to the tournament scene, come rolls in and he's actually you draw him and you're like oh you know this this would be a nice submarine and then he turns out to be really good, <laughs> really highly tactical game right and and that that I think I like the challenge of that. Um, so you know that, that that could be another thing you could have it where you know each. Each state has X amount of tournaments, and, and you're not allowed to have a TO run more than one tournament. So someone else has to step up. You know, even if they're the tournament organizer, someone else has to kind of like you did, where it was Man- Manuel organized, you know, sort of all the stuff, but you ran the tournament on the day. Yeah, yep. you know that that could also be another thing. You know, that does it. Um, I, what are your thoughts on the painting argument? Like, I, I personally. Hmm. The hobby needs to be involved more. Yeah. Uh, like back in you know, back in the old days as I'll call it, um, it was it was a lot more involved. Like you know, you get you didn't just get twenty tournament points, for example, for having three colours and everything based. Mm. You you know, one point for having three colours, one point for having shading, one point for having highlighting, one, uh, one point for everything being based. One, one, one point for everything being based with more than one material, you know, all of those things sort of came into it. Mm. Uh, where, where do you stand on that argument? Um, yeah, look, I, I agree. I, I, for a long time, we seem to have adopted the, the sort of three-colour minimum, you know, everything based type of basis as the as the only requirement for, for tournaments. Um mm. And look, I'm, I guess I'm okay with that, but it, it's it's definitely not resulting in better looking armies, and and that's a big selling point for a lot of players. If you can get good looking tournament scene, good looking painted armies, it's it's going to improve everyone's tournament scene. I think. Um, yeah, agreed. And and so I think uh, I, I'm sort of inclined to to go a similar way to what you're suggesting, like they used to be. Um, that yeah yeah you get. I don't know, just off the top of my head, you get 10 points for uh, three-colour minimum, fully based uh, cohesively, and then there's another 10 points up for a whole bunch of different stuff. So, all right, you, you might not be um, you might not be into doing freehand, but, you know, you might prefer to do, I don't know, uh, conversions or cool-looking unit fillers or something else. So, 
So you've got your base 10 points and then there's, say, uh, an extra 10 points up for grabs and there's 20 different ways you can get it. So, you, you know, you, you get one point for having some free hand somewhere in your army. You get one point for having, um, as I say, uh, a conversion or, a, you know, a, a, a different model in your army. You get um, one point for something else. So you don't necessarily have to be... You know, ev not everyone has to have done some freehand work or not everyone has to have painted it to an incredible standard, but you'll find another way of getting your those extra 10 points by, like you were saying before, have, are your movement trays matching, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, the argument I always hear from, you know, uh, players that don't like painting is like, oh, I don't come to tournaments to, you know, I can't. it's, it's about playing. It's like, but. You know, my, my sort of argument, I'm like, that's almost a contradiction. It's like you could, I could argue the same thing. I come to tournaments because I want to, like, I, I you know, enjoy painting. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like what, what specifies that a tournament is actually about the, the gameplay? You know what I mean? And back then it wasn't. Like it was 60% of it was about the gameplay. So the, the whole thing is actually a, um, uh, you know, it, it's like an event, you know, like the decathlon. It's not just one event. Like you might be really good at, say, I don't know. I'm trying to think what's actually in the decathlon. Um, you might be really good at high jump, <laughs> but yeah. you're not very good at long jump. You know, so like to, to me, like, and, and I think it's a different era as well. Like, you know, the the scoring has, has sort of changed over that time, whereas back then, you know, tournaments weren't just about the gameplay. Whereas I think it's changed a bit, and people sort of look at it like that. Um, and at the end of the day, right, if you don't enjoy painting models, that's fine. If you want to get the tournament points and you don't like painting the models, um, pay someone to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. or challenge yourself. Like, you know, I understand, you know, like not everyone enjoys the painting, but, you know, I think it's also um, part of the reason some people don't like painting is like I wasn't very good at it when I first started. I'm still not, you know, definitely not an heavy metal painter or a golden demon winner, but, you know, I'm, I'm all right. Um, you know, but like, you have to work at it, right? And the, there's that challenge of, of, of sort of working at it. But um, I think a really good example of the of the argument of why painting needs to be, you know, more involved is that Tale of Gamers group that, that we started, you know, this, mm. this idea of the, the group match, basically tournament that goes throughout the year, um, but with, with painting involved as well. There's – so I've got 16 players – actually in the, the the event plus there's another or oh, maybe six that are in there uh in the in the group it's, you know from the, mainly from queensland but you know obviously yourself you're in there there's a manuals in there oh sorry he's in queensland isn't he um i think manuals in there but anyway like when i when I, when we first created that there was i reckon 12 of those people i haven't actually met at a tournament yet hmm. And it's kind of like, well, what does that tell you? It means the players are out there. Mm. Those guys enjoy playing the game too. But if they enjoy the hobby side of it more, they're not going to come to tournaments, um, you know, if the, the armies aren't painted. And maybe if they did, they might – maybe they've never come to a tournament. You know what I mean? And the reason they don't is because they're worried that, you know, that, that sort of stigma of it's, you know, you're just going to go and play and people are going to be gamey and competitive and – or like you know, hyped up competitive, not not enjoyable competitive. Um, but I don't think the scene's like that. Everyone is really competitive, but 
everyone is a gentleman at the same time. I haven't played a single person yet that I'm like, that's a, you know, that person's not a great bloke. I wouldn't sit down and have a beer with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, everyone's super helpful and friendly. Like you could message any of the top players in the country and ask them, you know, um, like, could you help me with this or help me with my list? And they'd be happy to take the time and do it with you, if you know what I mean. So, yep. yeah, I think um, there's definitely – I think it's going in the right direction. Don't get me wrong. Um, like, I think, yeah, I would, I would be very surprised if CanCon next year doesn't have, you know, more players. Um, and, mate, tell us what's your next event down in Victoria for everyone out there that um, I've been badgering a lot of people about it. Nice, yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, I've been absolutely harassing anybody who'll listen to me about this one. Uh, so our next one is Vic GT, which is on the uh, 30th of April and the 1st of May. Yep, yep. Um, fairly standard, 4,500 points, uh, five games over the two days. Some twists in the players' pack. It's probably worth having a read for anyone who's interested, but um, Vic... Vic GT has always had a couple of these twists. This is a bit of a legacy, um, biggest a bit of a legacy players pack. It's got some random stuff in it. Um, it's got Giant Ben, uh, which is a, a free model that goes to the lowest scoring player at any point. Um, uh, there's the artillery, which gets dropped on a single table at some point as well, that both sides get these extra artillery pieces. So there's just kind of some random stuff in there that just adds a little bit of fun to the to the players pack. Um, it's being run out of Thornbury Bowls Club, which is uh, taking us back to the old school, um, like Bowls Clubs. Um, Community bowls Club. Yeah, yeah. So remember, people remember like a lot of the tournaments from back in the day were running Bowls Clubs. They're always really good fun. Beer's cheap and uh, just real social events. So, yeah, hopefully to make it a big one. We've got 20 signed up at the moment. We could easily get 50 in there. So if we can get a heap more, I'm, I'm keen to see it. Yeah, I think, you know, for all the interstate guys, um, obviously, you know, I've already hit up a fair few guys in Queensland. I think Joss so far is, is the only confirmed one. But I think for anyone that is interstate, um, that, you know, Melbourne, I actually used to live in Melbourne. I lived there for six months, lived in Glen Iris. Um, nice. And I was at the time, you know, this is just for this is what sort of led me to leave, move to Queensland. My, my now, you know, ex partner, partner at the time, uh, she was up here and, um, I was kind of – I just got back from living – I worked in the Philippines for two years, um, which also made, you know, the hobby side quite hard. Um, and so I just got back and work had then sent me after being over there for two years to Melbourne. Um, so I was working in Burwood and the travel from the like the airport to home in Glen Iris on a Friday would cost me – or sorry, on a, on a Monday morning um, and then obviously on the Friday from, you know, Burwood or Glen Iris to the airport – It'd be a hundred, hundred and fifty dollar Uber. Um, one thing I've noticed for everyone from the interstate is because I did a bit of research last night, um, looking at flights, that type of thing. It is only it's like the next suburb over to the airport, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Pretty close. Pretty good. Yeah, which means like you can get an Airbnb nearby if you get a group of people together. You know, I think it cost like it was about maybe three hundred bucks for for the weekend. Um, not not including like beer and stuff but to be fair we thought we went out or anything when we were there like you know like i think i know i'd spend easily spend that on a night out in brisbane so you know for a weekend away um rolling dice it's you know um 
yeah, I think it's pretty good. And not not having to worry too much about the travel side of things, like because it, it can be a bit daunting. I think you know, in places like Sydney and Melbourne, in particular, in Australia, is if the tourney, like you know, where is the actual event? And you're looking, you're like, oh, I don't want to go to that because it's going to cost me either. You got to hire a car, and it's going to cost you a fair bit in fuel. Uh, top of the accommodation of flights and stuff, but it's also, you know, the or, or Ubers. Um, so I think it's a really good choice of venue. And I think I'd actually encourage, you know, in in like whatever state it is, um, like to actually try and book your venues as close to the airport as you can, um, you know, without it being too far out of the way of your, play, your, you know, your sort of home playing group. But I think it, like that, that's probably another thing, you know, when it comes to growing the scene is being strategic with, you know where you um where the venues and stuff are um because you, you're more likely to get more interstate people i think that way yeah agree um yes it was always so yes some of the challenges the newcastle is always a little bit of a challenge as well in that um the airport's like a, like you say like an 80 buck 90 buck um cab ride to to get into newcastle so but always worth it that was always a cracking tournament hopefully that gets gets up again this year or next year but it's been a while so is that, is that Castle Assault, that one? That's the one. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about it. Um, I, uh, yeah, I look forward to it. I, my, my plan for the year, um, again, you know, like I think I said to you the other day on, on Facebook, which prompted the, the podcast is, you know, I want to do as much as I can to try and grow the scene and, um, and, and you know, give back to, I think, a, a great hobby and, um, you know, I guess try and take some of the load off guys like Glenn and stuff that already do, you know, so much. Um, so like I'm going to try and get to every single interstate tournament this year. Um, that, that's sort of a, I guess, a goal of mine. So I'm yeah, about to book flights for the Dick GT. Um, are you coming up for BrizCon, mate? I think that's the. It's like the week before or something, isn't it? I, I am keen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's challenged. Um, that's made a bit of a challenge is the is the you know the only week gap. Yeah, yeah. Oh look, I'm I'm super keen. Um, if I can, I will for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think for for everyone in Queensland that doesn't already know about it, Patio Slaughter is the next one up here. It's a one day. Um, that's run by Dan Stark. That's out at Kingaroy. Um, Starkey is one of the best painters um, in the scene. Yeah. Great guy. Really friendly. Um. I've not been to this tournament before, but from you know everything I've been told, it's it's called Patio Slaughter because he actually he's got such a big house that he holds it. Um, you know, I think the patio is just one of the many areas where he sets up tables. Um, I think someone said he had like 28 players at one oh, of the uh, four, 14 tables. Yeah. Uh, um, it was funny. One of the guys back in Adelaide used to run a tournament. Um, he, he had 44 players at a tournament in his house. That was. <laughs> It's called nice. the Border, Border Prince's Tea Party, and he just had one of those like sort of new build, like new estate type houses where it, this garage, um, like roller door garage, just seemed to go on forever, and it tied into the patio and stuff. And he literally had twenty two six by four tables with a um, a little sideboard in between every every single one of them for your armies and that um, set up in that area. In fact, and they were like they were four. He had four rows basically. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Like four four rows of five or six tables. Um, but yeah, mate, I'm, I think I think you know the scene will grow. Um, you know, I'm going to put my hand up and, and try and help in any way I can. And you know, if there are any tos and stuff, like I'm I'm even happy, you know, to to run. Like if, if someone else is running an event, you know, in Queensland, um, I'm I'm happy that you know to say I'll 
I'll, you know, I'll sit this one out, you know, um, and yeah, like I'm happy to do that as well. I'll probably, I'm looking at running, I just don't know what to call it because I also don't want to step on the toes of anyone else's events. Um, I don't think there is a Queensland GT. I want to run a two day, six game event. Ooh, uh, nice. Yep. Yeah. So it'd be a big one. I just don't know. Like I just need to feel everyone out as to whether that'll turn some people off just because if they've got kids and stuff, I know it can be a bit of a, a challenge. You know, it, it's a bit easier sell to um, to your better half. I think on the on the Sunday to be oh, yeah, I'll be back by sort of four thirty five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, I know back in the day though in seventh they had like you know convict and stuff and um, dog con used to be seven games two days so they do four games day one three games day two, <laughs> but. Yeah, I think I'm going to run a two-dayer um, and, yeah, potentially six games. Um, otherwise, it would be five. Probably at Brisbane is Comics, which is where Bobo ran a series of events last year. Sam ran one. I ran one. I think Joss ran one early in the, earlier in that year. Yep. Um, and, yeah, good good venue. Mark, who runs it, lovely guy. Um, it's, it's central, I think, for Brisbane, like something that is a big challenge in Queensland, unlike Melbourne, is you've got the river that separates everything. You know, I think Melbourne, it's kind of the CBD separates, you know, um, the, the, the two sides, like what suburbs, whereas here yep. it's the river. Um, yep. So it's central. It's in, in Fortitude Valley. Um, yeah, mate, that, that kind of wraps us up, does it? Do um, you have any, no. other, any other ideas? No, look, that's that's probably it. Um, the only one I wanted to ask was, what's your uh, what's your feeling on three D terrain? Because we don't see a huge amount of it uh, in some tournaments. But to uh, to um, to Glenn's credit, he he put some excellent terrain on the last time I went up for a Brisbane tournament. Yeah, I I haven't actually seen two D uh, sorry three D terrain yet at a tournament I've been to. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if um, I've not been to one that Glenn runs himself though. I've only been to the ones where he supplies the 2D terrain, um, you know, which again is a credit to how much time and effort that he puts into the scene. Um, you know, he, he's a prob- probably the biggest contributor from what you know, from, from what I can see. Um, yeah. You know, which you know, hats off to him. Well done, mate. Um, yeah, I, I love 3D terrain personally. Um, I know that some people think it's not practical, but you know, I, I like the idea of the 3D on 2D. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Are, are you going to do three D for um or uh big GT? Yeah. We'll, we'll do we'll do three uh, D on top of two D. I think. Um, yeah. It just yeah. I think it sells us sells the game so much more, particularly to new players. Um, anybody who wanders past a table that that used to play um eighth edition is you know, it's automatically drawn in by seeing that table with, you know, a couple of big buildings and, uh, you know, forest on there and things. Whereas if they just see 2D, I think they just keep walking, um, even with beautifully painted models and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, Glenn did the Asia Pacific singles championships a few years back and he had the 3D on top of 2D. He had a mat on every table. It looked top notch. He did really well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like, I mean, to be fair, Brisbane's, if we actually asked Mark to, and I've that, that's something else I wanted to add, you know, for anyone that is interested, I'm going to be setting up a, a gaming club um, out of Bridge Vegas. Um, and 
Mark, I know the 40K guys that play there, they've actually got like a, a weekly night they do. Um, and they, you know, I've, I've been there a few times when they've been playing and they get sort of, you know, anywhere from eight to, to 14 tables. There's actually 20 tables. Like Mark can hold, um, they've got a capacity of 40 um, at Brisbane Vegas Comics. Um, it is a bit squishy, but it, it's still a pretty good venue. Um, but they, Mark actually builds a lot of the 40K terrain for them. So I think if we got enough involvement and, you know, it was commercially, you know, therefore better for him, he would probably do the same for us. Yep. Um, and, and just give us that ability, you know. And it, it, I don't even think the whole table needs it, but, you know, I think it's good to to have it. Um, and I think, to be honest, Hills are really the only one that are well, – Hills and, um, like, yeah, I guess anything you can move through um, are the, are the – you know, the annoying ones. Like there's no yeah. reason that um, impassable would ever need to be removed really because you can't st- you can't stay in it. Um, you know, if you've got like um, go step, that type of thing, you can move through it. But, yeah, you definitely can't, um, can't like stay in it like the others. Um, I know hills can be a point of contention. It's <laughs> <laughs> in many model full of those. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah, there's definitely definitely a lot that can be done, um, and I, I think you know the the community's only going to grow. But I think there's yeah. you know it's just going to be about more people putting their hands up and, and driving it, um, and and sort of doing their little bit. You know, it, I, I'm running this Taylor Gamers thing, um, which ironically, um, I'm looking like I'm probably not even going to get close to finishing my first target. Everyone else. <laughs> I've got 15 uh, crossbowmen that I built on the weekend staring at me right now that I just didn't want to undercoat because it's been really hot up here. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I'm really like, I'm OCD as anything. Like I was literally washing them in soapy water today, then rinsing them, like rubbing over them with a toothbrush, like just to get all that, you know, the casting oils and stuff off them. Like I take it, you know, to another level um, of just, yeah, making sure it's perfectly primed. Um and it was just too hot. I was like, oh, I don't know. What, I don't know if I want to spray under this. Like, I know it says fifty degrees on the spray cans, but it's also really humid. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I think like stuff like that. Which realistically, it, it, it took me about an hour to write it, like to write the rules for it. Like the, um, you know, I wouldn't really call it a players pack, but I guess it kind of is. Um, you know, I put obviously put a post up on the you know the ninth age community thing, and you know, away you go. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take that long, I think, to, to to get something going. And, you know, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of guys. And there, there's guys that aren't actually, you know, Aaron obviously lives in um, Toowoomba, which is, what, two hours from Brisbane. Um, you know, so he can't actually, you know, it's not, it's not really, you know, viable for him to play three guys once, once the, the games start getting up around that, you know, he could do the 1K, maybe the, the 1500, maybe the 2250. But as soon as it starts getting to like 3K and beyond, where it, the game probably will take, you know, between two, three hours, it's not going to be viable for him to play all three players over a two month period. Yeah. Because, you know, are those players going to want to drive to Toowoomba and is Aaron going to want to drive to Brisbane? And I personally am not a fan of UB. Um, I'm not about you, but yeah, I, I'm not a fan. Um, I love UB for what it is. It, you know, it's fine. It's I, I was in lockdown this week with the Rona, um, so you know I got in, I got in a game over UB. Um, you know, had a Skype chat going at the same time with um, the beautiful man, Mr. Ben Wadsworth, and you know that was fine. It was good. 
Um, I probably won't play another, you know, as soon as I get out of lockdown, I probably won't play another UB game for a couple of months. So, yeah, it's not, yeah. It, yeah. it is what it is. It was great during lockdown, but I much prefer to meet face to face and roll some dice. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not very tech savvy. I think that's probably why. So it's like, I, I tried to get to get it going with Aaron once, because um, obviously he's in Toowoomba. But I was fiddling around for an hour and a half just trying to get my units onto the board. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. I was like, this is, like so fiddly it like it's, just, it's not enjoyable for like yeah, i was like nah like i'm just not much of a computer person i think it's probably a, an issue with it as well but yeah <laughs> I, I get it like and i think it serves a purpose i think it's like you know imagine what the scene would be like right now if ub hadn't been yeah. there yeah, like that's right. so, you know, i'm thankful for it i just don't think i'll ever play um on it myself um unless like you know, like I would like to eventually play on the ETC team. If that was a requirement, I would suck it up and do it. Um, not saying I'd enjoy it, um, but, you know, I would do it because it's more about the bigger picture in that in that case. But, you know, yeah. so I get for those guys, you know, it makes sense for, for the ETC because you can, if there's guys in New South Wales, you can train against them for all the practice games and stuff without having to travel and spend the money to train when you're already flying to Europe. You know, I, I get that. Um that's actually so. Final final topic I've got, mate, is um, as part of growing the scene. I've always wondered why you have the ETC, but there's no. And I was thinking about this was a, a shower thought, and by shower thought I mean um, exercise bike thought at the gym the other day. Yeah. Imagine you, you've got like I think you know nearly every single country that has uh, an ETC team has a masters, right? For singles, what about? the the masters as in you get i don't know whether it's the top seated player from every one of those masters gets to go to the you know the global masters or the podium of every single one or the top half or something like that or the top four i don't know how you'd work it but like imagine that and like you know and it doesn't have to be every year so you you could even do it like this you get oh i guess you have to do it every year because you might have someone that, that you know isn't playing anymore that go like you know they're like oh that's four years ago sort of thing well maybe you could do it from every two years or something like that but you know what about a global mass singles event you know as prestigious as the etc but for singles where you get you know it's only by qualification because the etc is not by qualification anyone can submit a team yeah. um you know have you ever thought about something like that that's really cool. No, I hadn't. So you're effectively talking about a global masters. Um, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So that's you know, cool. I love it. I played in the ESC um, a few years back, but that was sim- you know similar to the ETC in that basically anyone could could you know um, pay their pay their fee and roll some dice. And they had 120 something odd players at that one. Um, is is that you... pre- like the prelude tournament to the ETC, the one they do beforehand? Yeah, yeah. So singles tournament was a couple of days before the ETC. Yep, yep. Um, uh, but a global masters? No, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, I, like I don't know how viable it would be because you get then in a situation where the top ranked player might not be able to afford or might not be able to get the time off to to travel there. Um, you know that. But but then again, I guess all of those players just, usually go to the ETC. I mean, it's just uh, as true in. Uh, you know, the Australian Masters that, you know, the top-ranked player might not be able to get to Sydney that weekend or wherever we're running it this year. Um, you know, it's just as true in the ETC that, you know, you might have a very good team that's out of one country, but they can't get there because they can't afford it, whatever. So, I mean, that's just true of any of any time. So it doesn't, it's no yeah. reason to not do that. 
yeah, it's an amateur sport, unfortunately, not a professional one yet. That's right. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> you never know. Like, I mean, you, you never would have thought that, um, you know, video games would be a, like, you know, you've got guys now getting paid millions of dollars to play, you know, Counter-Strike and COD and all that kind of stuff. Like, you never yeah. know. Stranger things. 40K is moving that way. I mean, they've got guys now that are getting well paid to coach other guys and, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. Out of America, there's there's plenty of guys that are professional coaches for 40K um, that, yeah, that get paid well <laughs> for that sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. It's pretty common over there now. So, you know, all that yeah. are running, all that run Patreons that, you know, are just 40K chats that, you know, they'll, they'll give you, you know, tips and tricks and, advice on your list and all that sort of thing so yeah yeah it's it's, it's booming 40k is def- definitely going nuts yeah that's crazy like i guess if you think about it, and, and something i think i would think about you know um i've i've been asked to commission paint for someone before i know trav cram he's probably the person i know the most like he painted an army for bobo recently um there was gob like so you know he's he turns out models like his own armies while still doing all these commissions as well. So like I'm kind of in that stage in the next two years where I need to try and get as many armies painted of my own as possible to play. Cause that's kind of when kids might start, you know, coming into the yeah. equation. Um, so then I, but I am thinking maybe when I have kids, maybe I'll do commission painting, um, you know, and, and you can actually earn money from the hobby. Um, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is possible. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, that would be really cool. Imagine being – because I was like, you know, people talk about who the best player in the world is. You hear the name Furion get mentioned. Bobo gets mentioned. Um, you know, Craig Johnson from the UK gets mentioned. You know, they're some of the yeah. guys that, you know, you hear on other podcasts being but, – but what if we actually knew? Um, and not saying that, you know, that necessarily means they're the best player in the world, but they'd have the title. <laughs> no, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. Cool, cool, mate. Well, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been, uh, yeah. been a pleasure. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you've, um, if for anybody who's hung around till the almost two and a half hour, two hour, 20 minute mark, thanks for, thanks for continuing listening. Um, if you're, if you've, if this has sparked some interest and you've, uh, you, you're keen on ninth age and not sure where to go next, jump onto the Facebook page. That's where all the chat is. Um, post up there on wherever you are. We'll definitely find a, a, someone to to teach you how to play if you're just interested in getting into it or you're just jumping back in. Um, yeah, just reach out to us, guys. Like we're keen to grow the scene. Everyone's everyone's keen to uh, to to see new players in the scene, and um, and everyone loves the the ninth age. Thing. Yeah, I think the same same sentence, mate. I'm happy anyone in Queensland if you're a returning player, um, you know. Like I'm more than happy any time to um to to give you a game if you want to jump in on this painting stuff that we're doing like yeah and anything and and also you know to any of the, if anyone is still listening from you know the likes of Glenn etc you ever need me to do anything at all just please ask me I will be more than happy to sacrifice my time to help grow the scene for all of us. Love it, mate. Oh, well, it goes from kills. We've got aspirants and both. We've got 450. Kill some mighty things. This is Fitzgate.